Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. One, two pitch, swing and a miss and a strikeout for Oviedo, two in the inning. And the 1-2, swung on and missed, Johan Oviedo, seven in a row, and three strikeouts along the way. Round ball, this should do it, Gorman is there, Cardinals win it! The bullpen again holds on for St. Louis, and they take game three, 5-4. Wow, we, Danny, no hits again from the bullpen. After Wayno went four and two-thirds, the bullpen came and saved the day again. That's what it sounded like last night on Bally Sports Midwest as the Cardinals win five to four. Not the start anybody was expecting out of Adam Wainwright, but the bullpen was able to carry you. You have now won two out of three against Milwaukee. You at least have the opportunity today to win this series. At a minimum, you will split with the Brewers. And alongside Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider for the Athletic and 101 ESPN and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. JR, excited to have you in today, man. What was your thoughts last night about the bullpen? I know you've got a bunch of them. Yeah, no, I did uh, flip back and forth a little bit between the Cardinals and that Stanley Cup game last night and uh, really impressed with that middle relief. It seems to be a story right now. Did you guys check the all-star voting? Is, is he uh, is he in the voting now? Oviedo? Yeah, Oviedo. I, I think he should be the leading Are you candidate. the campaign going, JR? I like it. <laughs> I... Last night, that performance from Oviedo, that was impressive. Just the fact of the matter, him coming in the bullpen and throwing the two innings covering it for him, and you heard uh, Danny Mack on the Bloom Party say that Ollie was concerned when Wayno was at 75 pitches at what was it, four, third or fourth inning at that point. Clearly didn't have some of his best stuff last night, kind of was rushed through it and had his struggles. And the fact of the matter, you can finally have that right-hander that covers two innings and gets you to the bridge to Henesis Cabrera for yesterday. That's a huge part of what the Cardinals have been searching for. And getting Oviedo to be that guy, look, I'm not still going to sit here and say, yeah, he's going to be this guy because it's a short sample size. I've seen Oviedo's stuff look good in the past, but that was really encouraging to see him come in. And not only now, he looks like he's got a new uh, mojo with him. He looks like he's a guy that has confidence that now he looks like he's saying, I belong here at the major league level. And when he was a starter, there were times you saw the stuff, but there were times also where you saw he just was out of, just didn't have this stuff working for him. And he looked like a guy that just looked defeated and didn't look like he belonged here at the major league level. I'm a big body language guy, JR. And I think sometimes you can sense it almost, especially with pitchers where 
you can see sometimes where they just don't have it. I think Jack Flaherty, you've seen this in his first two starts since coming off of the uh, the IL. He just clearly doesn't have his best stuff. He doesn't have command, and he's wearing that in his emotions. I think there were times when Oviedo was coming in as a starter where you could see it even early on where he's like, I don't believe in myself right now. And right now, it looks like he is attacking hitters. I remember whenever Luke Weaver came up, he's always my reference point for this because he was this high-end prospect, and him and Jack Flaherty came up at a very similar time. And Jack, when he came up, I was like, whoa, this dude is confident. Like, he believes in every pitch that he is throwing that he's going to get this guy out. And then Luke Weaver, you would see him, and he was this guy that was supposed to be a stud. He was going to be a, a great starter for the Cardinals. And every time I would watch him pitch, I'd be like, I don't know if he believes he's getting this guy out. So I surely do not believe that he's going to. And Oviedo has flipped that switch right now coming out of the bullpen. I think it's been the perfect transition for him where you can sense the confidence. And Marmol talked about that last night after the game where he's like, hey, you know, he, he looks like a confident guy. And I think that's the biggest change. He's always had the stuff. It's never been about that. It's always been about does he have command and does he have confidence in his stuff getting guys out? And right now you can feel that confidence exuding from him. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you think has allowed him to kind of flip the switch? And, and I buy what you're saying about confidence. You know, a lot of times that can be the overriding factor that just all of a sudden things start working for a guy, but something has to lead to that confidence, right? You have to get guys out before you start to build that confidence. It sounded like you answered that by saying he's attacking hitters. Yeah, for sure. He, he, so there's, there's a couple of things. One, he's attacking the zone now where previously he was always around the zone and it would get him into trouble with walks. Now he's just, he's getting the ball and he is throwing it quick. And that's the other thing, his tempo Tanner. I don't know if you picked up on this last night, but he, he was working so much faster than what he has been in the past. And that sometimes is a telltale sign of, okay, they're ready to go. Like they're ready to get up on it. And Jack is another guy kind of referencing him from his last couple of starts. He has slowed things down to a grinding halt. It was the opposite last night with uh, Johan Oviedo. And I think that's been a trend for him since he's been coming out of the bullpen. Yeah. I like that Oviedo's picked up the pace when he's coming out of the bullpen because then you can just get into a rhythm and you can kind of get the feel for the game. When you slow down, sometimes you start thinking a little much. And that's what I think you see part of with Jack Flaherty. I mean, you mentioned he's slowed his last start down to a grinding halt. And you can tell he's just out there. I don't want to say overthinking, but he's trying to relax himself, calm himself down. He's thinking a lot for each and every pitch. Johan Oviedo probably doesn't need to be doing that, especially a guy that, look, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but when he came up, he's really struggled. And he was what he wasn't ready when he got the call up during that pandemic season I mean we can all agree on that and I think it's stunted his development a little bit as a pitcher but him coming out of the bullpen look he's got the stuff that plays he's a guy that's probably we've talked about this that's probably best suited to just go through a lineup once and if he's going to attack the strike zone he's going to allow the defense to play behind him and that's what you want if you're the St. Louis Cardinals just get it in the zone you've got the stuff that's going to play don't try and get too cute with it don't get too fancy get the ball throw it and then let's see what the defense can do behind you and if he continues to pitch like this then you've got that right-handed solution here in your bullpen and it's someone that honestly I'm not sure that the Cardinals would have said that they were going to view him. Remember when we talked to Michael Gersh on opening day and part of my team on three for bold predictions was we'd have six guys in the circle of trust. Still believe in that one. <laughs> but Michael Gersh, we have plenty of options that we can use from our bullpen. I'm not sure that they honestly viewed Oviedo as one of those. I think they viewed him as a depth starter for them. I agree. He got roughed up in AAA. He had a very tough start to the Memphis season, was giving up a lot of home run balls. And now they've taken that that trajectory of towards when it was a if you want to call him a quote-unquote failed starter like the t-shirt Andrew Chafin wears uh 
of moving him to the bullpen, like Henesis Cabrera, a guy you mentioned yesterday. And I like the idea because I think he is a guy that can only go through a lineup once. It's the same with what I've talked about, different players, of course, but Packy Knott, who's down in the minors right now. They've started him before. He got roughed up against Baltimore. I said he's a guy that can probably just go through a lineup once. It's okay to have those guys, and especially because if they're that kind of guy, Oviedo can give you, as you saw last night, two and a third, and he can just basically face the lineup once. Yeah, eventually you need guys that can get outs. And whether that means they go six innings or give you two innings, two and a third, like we saw last night with Oviedo, you got to get through the outs. And right now, Oviedo is one of those guys that you can trust. I like this text from the 314-65780 Zier Cover Service text line. Guys, most years, I feel like the Cardinals overhype the young talent that is coming up to the big leagues. This year, I actually feel like they have underestimated the talent that they had ready to go. I mean, there's a lot of truth to that. You look at the guys that have stabilized the lineup, especially in that kind of transition zone of like the five through seven parts of the order. You look at Brendan Donovan. You look at what they're getting from Nolan Gorman. You look at what they're getting in the outfield from Juan Yepes, who I understand last night, notwithstanding, had a great we're, opportunity we're not for him. Talk about that. We'll get into that later on today. And then you look at the the pitching staff as well. Zach Thompson, Andre Pallante, what they're getting right now out of Johan Oviedo, Ryan Helsley taking that next step in his career as well. You've got a lot of young guys that have really kind of taken that step. That it, it typically is hard to do. I mean, you look around the league right now, Tanner, we've talked about this. The top prospects in baseball are struggling this year more often than not. For the Cardinals, it's been the opposite. These guys are coming up and they seem to be ready to go right away. Yeah, and who knows if that actual conversation was had, you know, behind the closed doors uh, down at uh, Bush Stadium. Like, hey, you know, let's take it easy on building these guys up. But I do know that that happens within organizations where, you know, there's so much put on these guys and then it's hard for them to live up to that. So why not have that conversation? Why not? Hey, let's let them develop. Let's let them come up and show us what they can do. And probably more times than not, like we've seen this year with the Cardinals, when you're not hyping them up, they're coming up and performing. Oh, boy. It's a 115 first pitch today. JR, have you ever been a part of the lineup game before? (laughs) Yeah, I'm really bad at it. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if you can do well. JR, I'm going to not putting you on the spot here. I'll help you out, but we're going to get you as a featured role in this lineup game. David Perron. (laughs) (laughs) One for one to start things off. All right. Vladdy. So... The question that Jamie always has to start things off, who's the opposing starter and what's he throw with his right or his left hand? Jason Alexander is starting for the Milwaukee Brewers. He is a righty. So with that in mind, JR, who are you having leading off tonight? I would say Tommy Edmond has been the leadoff hitter for the vast majority of the season. Just to give you a hint. So not Vince Coleman. Let's see here. Uh, let's see here. It's not Colton Wong. No. Nope. He left. Nope. I'll go Tommy Edmond. Can we see Tommy Edmond? There we go. One for one. Number two. So Brendan Donovan got the night off last night. I would have to imagine he's in the lineup today. He has been hitting second most of the last week or so. Do you think they go with Brendan Donovan as your number two hole hit. Okay, uh, Carpenter's with the Yankees. He is indeed, yeah. yeah he's okay. had a lot of success with them. And Donovan did uh, get the night off. I saw that came in for pool holes late, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think that it, it could be Donovan. Can we see Donovan? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, that's good. Thanks for the help. 
Where's Cody go, man? Uh, let's see here. Who do we go with instead? You know what? I wonder if they go Carlson batting in the two hole. Dylan Carlson? Dylan Carlson. Are you right this time? He he hits second on Wednesday. I let let's try let's try Carlson in the two hole. Tanner, give me Dylan Carlson. Nope. Gosh. I think I need to take over the segment here. To righty. You know what? I think they might be going back to what they had previously. Let's see if we can go get Nolan Gorman batting second for the Cardinals. All right, there All we right. go. So we've got. Now it's like you've been following this team. <laughs> Come on, man. We've got Edmund at short, Gorman at second. Now you want to go Goldie here? Oh, yeah. I like Goldie. Arenado. Yep. Dinger last night. I think they go Donovan five. How do you feel about Donovan batting? Fifth? What are my other options? Carlson. George Hendrick. Go with? No. That's probably it. It's probably either Donovan or Carlson. Donovan or Carlson. We got a coin here. Maybe Yepes. I'm going to go. I'm going to make an executive decision here. Please go do. Donovan. All right. All right. My so guess is Donovan is in left field today. I don't think they're going to make the same mistake they made last night with Juan Yepes in left field. He almost that? caught that ball. <laughs> almost. Now, do you want to go with Carlson or Yepes batting sixth? They do have a lefty batting fifth, so I would guess they go Yepes batting sixth, and he's the DH tonight or today probably, yeah. so it would be easier to swap, swap him out of the lineup there. Yeah, I'll go Yepes there. That makes sense. All right, good call there. I think we go Carlson. Now we seven. go Carlson. I think they are going to put Bader eight and then have the catcher batting ninth. Would you go Bader here or the catcher here? I'd, I'd go Bader. And are we talking uh, Kins? It'll either be Kisner or I, I think they might go with Yvonne Herrera today. Because Kisner has started the last couple of games. I think they want to see Yvonne Herrera get a start, especially day game after a night day game. Day game, getaway game. So let's go Bader. Playing eight. with house money, three, four. Okay, let's go Bader. Mm. Oh, really? Just to show um. my lack of confidence, I've already got your next guest, my hands over the <laughs> wrong buzzer. <laughs> Not much confidence When there. was the last time that... Bader had a day off. It's been a while. They I'm, might be going with Lars and Newt Yeah, I'm trying to do today. a tell there. It looked like when you said Bader, I got the look from Tan Man that he's not in the lineup. I, I think it's going to be Lars and Newt Bar getting the start. Newt! All right. All right, so we've got Newt Bar getting the start. So I'm guessing that means that Carlson is going to be in center today. And we will go... I think we go Von Herrera. Let's go Herrera. Getting Let's try started it. catcher. Bye. He got Boom. it. All right. So here's your starting lineup because there is something that this is probably where it threw you off. So today's starting lineup, Tommy Evan lean off at short. Nolan Gorman at second base. Paul Goldschmidt, first base. Nolan Arenado, DH. Oh. Brendan Donovan is at third base. Juan Yepes in left. Carlson oh in center. Newt in right. And Yvonne Herrera batting ninth catch. Oh, boy. And Hudson right. on the mound. So they decided to go with Yepes in left, left field again. That will throw you off. <laughs> Oh, boy. Going on an adventure like today, boys. Like to be in a deck coach's meeting. Hey, what do you think about running him back out there? Oh, God. I guess you're showing confidence in him. I 
I'm sure it won't go awry. Not two days in a row. There's no way that happens. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford, who's in today for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Coming up in about 15 minutes, I think it's JR's debut on a tender Thursday. So we're going to get his thoughts. Oh, you're in for a good time. <laughs> on the top defensemen that are available this offseason for the Blues. Is he swiping right or left on them? We will talk about that coming up at 1130. But next, there's a controversy last night in the Stanley Cup final. Where's JR fall on this? Does he think there were too many men on the ice when the Colorado Avalanche won game number four? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Padre back in action, denied by Vasilevsky. Oh, what a play! Colorado, or Colorado thinks this is in. I think it is in. We are looking for the signal from the officials. They're going to take a look at the replay for sure. They think they have won the game. And let's take a look. Here's Kadri makes a great move on Sergeyev. It's going to hit Vasilevsky and then the back of the net. Yeah, it's up there in the net. I don't know why there was any question unless they thought it was sitting on the top of the netting. That audio courtesy of ESPN last night as the Colorado Avalanche win game number four. They're up three to one in the Stanley Cup final. One win away from winning the Stanley Cup final against the Tampa Bay Lightning with Jeremy Rutherford filling in for Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. Uh, JR, I want to hear first from John Cooper the head coach of the Tampa Bay Lightning, because at the end of that clip from the play-by-play last night, you hear, I don't know why there was any question about this. Well, uh, John Cooper met with the media for roughly 40 seconds after that game, and here's what he had to say about it. This one's going to sting much more than others just because I think it was taken on, it was potential, I don't know. It's hard for me. This is going to be hard for me to speak. I'm going to have to speak. I'll speak with you tomorrow. You're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. And my heart breaks for the players because we probably still should be playing. And what he's referencing is he and a lot of people nationally believe there were too many men on the ice for that final goal. And we've now seen a number of different shots of this. And it certainly appears as if Nazem Kadri came on the ice far before Nathan McKinnon was off of the ice, who he was replacing. Uh, JR, it looked like too many men to me. I'm going to be totally honest. Where did you come down on that goal and the too many men call that wasn't made? And how big of a black eye do you think that this is for the series? Yeah, it did. It did look like uh, too many men. And the best view, best video clip that I saw, BK, was uh, they have uh, a shot of the Colorado bench. And so you can hear the goal being scored. You can see the celebration among the players. And it wasn't but a second or two before that that Nathan McKinnon gets to the bench. So, you know, if you're not familiar with the details, Kadri goes on, McKinnon comes off. Kadri gets involved in the play. We see the play take place. He makes the nice move to the front of the net. In the meantime, McKinnon's just getting to the bench by the time Kadri is making that play. So it was definitely too many men. You know, we've seen it hundreds and hundreds of times, you know, covering the league. It is a judgment call. The league put out a release last night saying that it's not reviewable. You know, it's just unfortunate. It's got to be caught by the naked eye. That is a, a situation that can be flagged by any of the four, the two referees and the two linesmen. Two great referees last night, Wes McCauley, Kelly Southern, as you would anticipate with the Stanley Cup final. They just missed it. And you know what? I realize that that was a tough puck to see going in the net. I'm kind of separating sure. from the other thing. But 
there was just so much wrong with that whole situation. Like the referee is standing there right behind the net and granted, you know, you put you or I in that situation. Do you see the puck stuck no, at the top of the net? You probably don't see it either. But you've got a goal that nobody sees. You've got a puck that's lodged in the top of the net. You've got too many men on the ice. I mean, just what an ending. It was. And I understand nobody wants more reviews in sports. Like we've already got a ton of them and they take too long, whatever. Man, when when we're determining a Stanley Cup final game, I feel like I would like to get that call right when I... I think that there were too many men on the ice. You think there were too many men on the ice. The guy was involved in the play that right. was coming on the ice. And that's what I think makes it even more clear of, okay, you, you got to make this call. It, it's almost like an offside where it's like, okay, if we're going to go back and review this, we've got to make sure that this is a reviewable play. And when it's a game winning goal in a Stanley cup final, whether it be the actual final or a playoff game, Man, I think this should be reviewable, and, and that's part of what made it so frustrating last night is that it, it's not a reviewable play. Yeah, you know, Kadri, I should have said earlier, he doesn't score the goal if he waits for McKinnon to get all the way off 100%. the ice. And, you know, I say I shouldn't say doesn't score the goal, probably doesn't score not the goal. Not in the way that it happens. Not in the least. way it happens, right? Because he gets involved in the play, and he gets a step on guys, and now he's back behind the D and, 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 and puts the puck in. So... To your argument, BK, and I agree with you, you know, in a situation like this, you probably need to have some sort of review, but where's the line? Are we inter- are, are we reviewing too many men in December in the regular season? I think it's just a playoff Are thing. we doing it in the first round? Are we doing it? You yes. Know, it, but I really do think that too many men is such a gray area. I mean, there's, there's 15 of them that happen a game that never get talked about unless a goal is scored like this. Maybe it just has to be something where it's like if – if that man was involved in the goal and we believe that to be a potential too many men call, that's the way that we make it look clear. Or it's you know? part of the potential coach's challenge. Sure. I, I think that we can we can find a way to make this better. Yeah. And, and like, especially even if you just want to make it an overtime goal where it's the game winner, you know, for a fact, like if there was still five minutes to go in the game, the lightning have a chance to adjust. They can still respond to what was clearly a wrong, but they can, they still have an opportunity to go out there and be able to respond to that wrong. Right. In this situation, the game is over and now you lose a Stanley cup final game where, I mean, that was a pivotal moment for them. Like in this final, in this season, in this stretch of a potential dynasty, that could end it. That could be the nail in the coffin for them. And that that is hard for me, even as a neutral observer of this series, to to come to grips with. And you could tell for John Cooper, who was obviously intimately involved with this, it's even harder for him where he, he couldn't even talk about yeah. it afterwards. He's like, this is just I, I don't even know what to say to you guys right now. We can talk tomorrow, but I, I've got nothing more to say. Otherwise, I'm going to eventually get fined. Well, and, and he here's, here's the killer part for Tampa Bay. If it's called, then they're going on the power play. You yeah. have a chance to win it. Then it's 2-2 going back. You know, potentially, you know, so many things could have happened. But I agree with you from this aspect. And, and maybe we could think it out and work something out where it could be reviewed. Maybe it's playoffs only. Maybe it's a coach's challenge, whatever. But when you look at the big picture, this is a league that does a freeze frame on offsides and we're talking millimeters, but Kadri can be 15 feet out onto the ice when McKinnon's still not to the bench. It just seems wrong. It's puzzling. And and I guess the question that I would have as well is like, so we in St. Louis, I've already seen it on the text line. You've got the hand pass game, right? Where the blues were able to respond and it's, it's a, it's a different scenario. This is three, one in the Stanley cup final, but 
I, I did find it interesting that John Cooper's stance after the game was not, we're moving on, we're a Stanley Cup champion, like we, we know how to be able to respond to what is obviously adversity. It didn't seem like they were moving past this very quickly. And I understand that it's in the heat of the moment. You're right after the game at that point. You know how quick the turnaround is from where they get into the locker room to coming to talk with the reporters afterwards. But if that's what the coach sounds like, I would have to imagine he's representing what the team probably feels inside of that dressing room. Was last night, in your opinion, kind of the the finale? Like, Did, did that feel like it is over in this series for the Lightning to you? You know, I, I know John Cooper a little bit. I think he's a tremendous coach, tremendous person. Obviously, he's got the emotions flowing right there. You know, he did make comments like, and these guys fought so hard and they've battled back. It sort of sounded like a finality comment, like yeah. it's going to be tough to come back. But gosh, you know. If there's a team, and we've seen it a lot with this Blues team, if there is a team that can come back from something like that, it's a team like Tampa Bay that, look, they were all over them early on, right? And I realize that game's over and they lost it and you got to move on. You're, you're down 3-1. Um, you know, they were getting it taken to them in overtime a little bit. But I just think that it, it could be the end because it's going to be tough to win out here, especially with a couple in Denver. So... You know, is it the end? If it is, it's unfortunate because that was a, a tough way to, to swallow a loss last night. If it is, the Avs, let's say they win in the next game and they win this Stanley Cup final in five, they would have the fewest losses in the playoffs by a Stanley Cup champion in at least the last 20 years. I couldn't go back further than that. I just frankly didn't have the time to do so. But the last time that we saw a team lose four games in the Stanley Cup playoffs was the 2012 Kings. Five games was the 2007 Ducks, and then you had the 2020 Lightning, 2010 Blackhawks, and 2008 Red Wings, all of whom lost six games on their route to the Stanley Cup final, winning it. it are we watching something historically great right now, JR? Because I know in St. Louis, like we think back to the series and all of the what-ifs, and the Blues were able to get two wins there. In the entire rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs... The Avs have only lost one other game, and it was that game in in this series against Tampa Bay. Is this a historically great team in your mind? We, I think so. Uh, but uh, you know, I mentioned to you earlier that uh, if not for that miraculous Blues comeback, you're talking about two potential losses. You know, because the Blues got that game five. You know, just crazy finish. Uh, but uh, if if not for that, then you're talking about an Avs team that goes through the whole thing losing two. That's if they end this thing in Denver. I think so. I mean, you take it back 20 years, you take it back 40 years. To lose three games, if that winds up being the case throughout the entire Stanley Cup playoff is is pretty incredible. Now, granted, you know, I didn't like Nashville. I felt like that was an easy matchup for them. And Edmonton had a game or two there that they, you know, just didn't pull out. So it could have been different. But hey, listen, Colorado got those wins. And if they can skate through this and just lose three, pretty incredible. And the thing that makes it even more incredible to think about is they're really the first team that I look at and I say they're the first team that's been kind of high-flying that's going to go out and win, potentially win the Stanley Cup and do it in this fashion. Kind of sends a message of how the league is going towards. And also the other thing, and Alex brought this up, I think it was yesterday or two days ago, and it's a good point. They're doing this all with pretty much average goaltending. Exactly. That was going to be my point, yeah. Yeah, it's incredible to see this team. They're basically saying, all right, hop on our back, Darcy Kemper. We're going to carry you to the finish line. And to think that this is how the NHL, look, we've known that the NHL is building towards speed, but now that it's kind of hit the forefront and it's just taken off and and run through the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs and this Colorado Avalanche team, I think it tells you exactly where the league is going. And it tells you, 
hey, here's what it's going to need. Here's what you need to do probably for the next five to ten years to be able to win here at the NHL level because what was the big bugaboo with Colorado? Well, they couldn't get past the second round. And what Alex would always tell us, well, it's because they just got speed. They get beat up. All these teams will just grind it out and take it to them. And Colorado now says, yeah, no, we're not going to do that. You're not even going to be able to hit us, and we're just going to fly right past you. It's been incredible, and and I hate to say that because, you know, Colorado taking down the Blues, but it's been incredible to see what they've done. They went a month between losses from game uh, five against the Blues until they lost that game against Tampa Bay in game three. It's just been an unbelievable run for them. Yeah, imagine in 30 years when you say, oh, they only lost three throughout the entire playoffs. Must have had a great goalie. Who's <laughs> yeah. their goalie? No, no. Son no, of a no, gun. That no, guy. That He's had an 898 save percentage in the playoffs. Oh, that ugh. would not be very good for a regular season goalie. That's like Jordan Bennington when he was going through his struggles this year is essentially the equivalent of that. I tried to go back through. We talked about this a little bit yesterday with with Alex. I, I think he's probably, in terms of what he did in the playoffs, Darcy Kemper, probably the least impressive playoff resume of any goalie to win the Stanley Cup in like the last 15 years. Yeah, the one, the one that stood memory. out was like Antti Niemi when the Chicago Blackhawks won in 2010. But even he had a 9-10 save percentage. He yeah. was significantly better than what we've seen so far from Darcy Kemper. It, yeah. It's it's stunning that they've been able to overcome that kind of goaltending. Yeah, and that. he was pretty good in that playoff. Not a name guy and then left them. But, uh, but yeah, you'd have to go back to Niemi to, to have some sort of comparison. And here. that's already like 12 years. And you have to go back even further to find the guy that's been worse than what we've seen so far from Darcy Kemper. It it really is a, a historically great run. And they've to do it without... A, a real like legit number one starter in net. Uh, it's it's been super impressive to watch. Coming up in about thirty minutes or so, Matthew Kachuk, the Calgary Flames winger, he's going to join the show. We've got a lot of questions about St. Louis to ask him, including uh, what's his favorite St. Louis style pizza and what is his favorite in the city of St. Louis. We've got a lot of questions to ask Matthew Kachuk coming up at twelve o'clock. But next, NHL Tinder Thursday, we've got a lot of defensemen to talk about, including. Would he would Jr. swipe right or left on Ian Cole making a return to St. Louis? We'll do that next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for some NHL Tinder Thursday. JR, I know you've had a lot of experience. What is it? What is Tinder? on the Tinder, the grinder. Well, the... No, I don't think he's been on that one. No, you don't think he's been on there? I don't think so. Okay, Cupid? I'm not even sure that one's real. Is that a real thing? Christian Mingle? What do you do on the Tinder? Farmers only? I got married in 03. I think that was before apps. <laughs> I think you're correct. Uh, so basically the way it works, you'll get like a, what is it, Tanner? Five pictures or something like that? Yeah. Five, it's like five pictures, and then there's like a little bit of a description. And then if you do, if you like it, you're swiping right. If you don't like it, you're swiping left. And if you really like it, you are super swiping. Super swiping. You know what? Uh, I do have one bit of dealings with this. Okay. But it was uh, just wait until your kids get on this. (laughs) (laughs) My sister-in-law and she's on uh, the Tinder, right? Okay. And so one day she comes up and she is just laughing beyond belief. She's laughing so hard and she comes up to me and she says it's her Tinder app. And this guy that she scrolled across, his profile picture was him 
holding my blues book. No way, really? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> like how? So you're not on Tinder, but your book is. My book is, yeah. How <laughs> nice. low could your life drop when you say, you know what? When I put this out to all the women out there, I'm going to be holding this book. That's tremendous. By the way, we do have a book to give away today throughout the show. So we'll do that before the end of the show. If you'd like to uh, be involved in that giveaway, be sure to stay tuned throughout the day today. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, Matthew Kachuk is going to join us. All right, let's get into some Tinder Thursday, JR. Let's do it. I'm ready to swipe. These are all defensemen. I'm going to be honest with you, the left-handed defenseman market stinks this offseason, so I've included some right-handed D on here. Maybe you think they can make the transition to the left side. Maybe you don't want to do what they did with Justin Falk. We can get into that here momentarily. The first one to talk about is a guy that we've seen have a lot of success in the playoffs for the Colorado Avalanche. It's Josh Manson. This year, he was a minus 11 in the regular season for Colorado, but he ate a pretty good amount of minutes. He was playing around 19 minutes per game this year, and the Athletic has him projected for a contract of four years on the term, $4 million per season in terms of the AAV. Are you swiping right or left, JR, yep. on Josh Manson as an option? I really like Manson, and that minus 11 might be attributable uh, to, uh, to uh, him coming over, you know, and trying to find his footing. Um, but then I think once he got settled in in the playoffs, he's been he's been really good for the Avs. The fact, though, that he's a right-handed guy, and here's the thing. We'll get to his contract. Four years, four million AAV projection. You know, is that the guy that the Blues need? So, you know, I feel like he's been pretty good. You got Bortuzzo back on a two-year deal. He's not playing ahead of Pareko Falk. You know, I think because he's a righty, that's not what the Blues need. I'm swiping which way if I don't want him? Left. Left, okay. So I'm swiping left on Manson. I'm with JR. I'm swiping left on this one because I he is right-handed. I do agree. He did. He, it could just be his struggles were that ch- change from Anaheim to over in Colorado. But I, and he takes a lot of penalty minutes, 65 penalty minutes this year. I, I think I'm going to swipe left. I, I'm not a fan of the Josh Manson idea. Sweep it. Hate the idea. It doesn't fit. I don't want to put a square peg into a round hole once again. Don't need that here on the Blues. Let's go to the next one. Ben Sherratt. Oh, baby, here we go. He was the big-time deadline acquisition. He plays a ton of minutes. Unfortunately, he does not play them particularly well at this point in his career. He's going to be 31 years old. The Athletic is projecting a four-year deal worth $5.5 million per season. He was awful this year in terms of what he actually did while he was on the ice. Maybe you believe that he can have a rebound season. I'm going to go ahead and start things off here. I am definitely swiping left. Not interested in Ben Sherratt. Definitely not at that term and certainly not at that dollar figure. No, I don't think so. And this is a guy that we talked a lot about heading into the trade deadline. I felt like he probably could have been a good fit for the Blues. He was on a bad team in Montreal, but then he goes to a great team, Florida, and doesn't look very good. And so now you're talking about a 31-year-old who's getting a projected four-year deal. You know, I think, you know, if you could get him for a season at a reasonable price, a couple years, you'd do it. But not at that price. I'm swiping left on Sherratt. Yeah, I'm swiping left as well. I thought he was going to be a guy that could go to a good team as J.R. mentioned and play really well. Thought maybe just Montreal was the reason he wasn't playing well. Turned out not to be the case. So I'm swiping left. I don't want Ben Sherratt, and I don't want especially at that contract for $5.5 per year. I mean, that's what they got Nick Letty for. If yeah. anything, I just bring back Nick Letty. All right, so we're 0 for 2 thus far. How about one of his former teammates in Montreal, Brett Kulak? Three years, $3 million per season is what the Athletic is projecting him for. Edmonton 
Got a pretty good player in him. He finished the year in the regular season as a plus six in 18 games with the Edmonton Oilers in the playoffs. He was a plus seven as well for Edmonton. So he fit in nicely. He plays a good amount of time. He's around the 17 minute mark for them. He's excellent defensively. Doesn't give you a whole lot on the offensive side of things. JR, are you swiping right or left? Right if you like it on Brett Kulak as a left-handed defenseman. Weren't there like 85 goals scored in that Edmonton? Cal- I didn't there know Edmonton indeed. had defensemen. Yeah, he, he was among them. He was one of them. He Unfortunately, they didn't have a goalie. They yeah. played with an empty net the whole series. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing, BK, with me. You know, at what point... Do you say what the Blues have is better? Could he come in and be okay? But is it an upgrade? And what'd you have for the salary? The Three million dollars per year. Three million. See, I mean, so he's basically getting the Scandella. Deal. Yeah. Are you moving Scandella, which maybe you have to do to do something like this? And is he upgrade over Scandella, even if it's slightly? Does it improve your team that much? So you know, it's not that I want to swipe left on him because I don't think he could come in here and help out. It's just is it an improvement over what you have? Yeah, I think I would swipe left as well. I, I think some of the numbers that kind of represent, like, look, he was better at Edmonton, no doubt about it. I think part of that is some of those numbers can be kind of bloated in their favor because of the goal scoring that the Edmonton Oilers have. And as you saw in that playoff series, look, we talked about Colorado, very good team. Defense got shown up by Edmonton, so I'm swiping left. All right, so the next one up. We're going to find one eventually, boys. <laughs> Nikita Zadorov. I'm a big fan of his game. Unfortunately, he takes a ton of penalties. That's the big, it's a big issue with Zadorov. He does have a little bit of offense to him, but he's really a defensive-minded player. He played for Calgary last year. He was in Chicago in 2021. He had a good amount of time in Colorado as well. He is just 26 years old. He'll be 27 next year. His projected contract is five years worth about $4 million per season. JR, are you swiping right or left on Nikita Zadorov as a left-handed defenseman? I have an idea for him. We got his teammate coming up here at 12 o'clock, Matthew Kachuk. We we could ask him about uh, Zadorov. I like that. See what he thinks about him. But, uh, you know, this one intrigues me more than the others for sure. Uh, There are some penalty minutes that come with him. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, he adds to the physicality that we're talking about. You mentioned, you know, I didn't know his age. You said, what, 26, 27? Yeah, he'll be 27 next year. Yeah, so that's not, I mean, you're talking about a four or five-year deal with him. You know, I think he potentially could be an upgrade. So, again, you're probably going to have to move some guys out. The other guy, thing that we have to think about, guys, in this equation is, you know, are, are you limiting the opportunity for Mikola? Are you limiting the opportunity for Pranovich if he's going to be here? Now, you can't worry about that too much when you have to upgrade. You have to find a guy that you can count on. I think uh, Zadorov could be a guy uh, that you bring in. So I'm going to swipe right on this one. There we go. We got one. I I think I'm going to swipe right as well because I I like the idea of someone that brings a little bit of physicality to the game. Now, we talked with uh, Eric Duhachik yesterday. And uh, he basically said, yeah, there's two minutes where he's just awful. Uh, but you know what? Maybe you can get away with those two minutes. I think if you put him up there with a uh, Colton Braco, I think he plays really well with him. You got basically maybe the Twin Towers are back there because he's super big physical style. I, I swipe right on this. I mean, maybe if you could get him maybe not on a five-year contract, I'd, it'd be a little bit more appealing for me for potentially the super swipe. Totally but agree. Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely in on this one. 6'6", 235 pounds. He's got that He's nastiness that, that you're looking that for. Ferrari was looking for. He fits all of that criteria. I guess the big question that I would have is the Blues have been going more towards the puck movers. Does he fit into that? And what they're really what the league really is going towards on the blue line. I'm swiping right. I, I do like the idea of Zadorov. I think of the bad options that are available on the free agency market, if you're not able to go out there and acquire a Jacob Chikrin and you have to go like your secondary route, plan B, I think Zadorov is at or near the top of that list. 
for the Blues. All right, let's go to the next one. Left-handed defenseman, a guy who had a previous history here in St. Louis. He's now a veteran. He played in Carolina last year. Had a brief history with Colorado as well. Dean Cole, he's going to be 33 years old next year. The Athletic is projecting a two-year deal worth about $2.5 million per season. JR, are you swiping right or left on the former blue, Ian Cole? You know, I covered a lot of Ian Cole, sat next to him in you know locker stall and had a lot of conversations. I like Ian Cole. Um, you know, he didn't seem to mesh with the teammates he had there at the time, and, and so they moved him to Pittsburgh for Bortuzzo. And gosh, who would think 10 years later, Robert Bortuzzo? Crazy? Still a blue. Meanwhile, Ian Cole has bounced around the league. I think he's played for everybody, right? But in that time, he's gained a lot of experience, won a couple cups in, in Pittsburgh. You know, again, I'm going to have to circle back to, is he an upgrade on, on what you have? have you know if you're thinking of him as a third pair you know depth guy I think you could do it but you know I think at this point the Blues have those guys and I'm gonna look at this I keep saying this you know if you're gonna upgrade upgrade and I'm not saying it has to be Jacob Chikrin but what is an Ian Cole what is a Brett Kulak gonna come in and do for you and make you take you to that next level I don't see it so I'm gonna swipe left on Ian Cole so I'm going on the assumption here with you can't get a Jacob Chicker, and that's why we're in the free agent market. Correct. And if I'm going to do that, if I'm the Blues, I want to go with someone that's going to be on a shorter-term deal that I would have confidence in playing. And with that being said, it's a super swipe. <laughs> I, I think Ian Cole, you get him on that two-year deal. Look, he played really well for Carolina this year, and I get it. He wasn't playing at the number one pairing up there with a Colton Pareko, but on a good team guy that has Stanley Cup experience, I think he fits. If you're going to go with someone short-term and maybe not get I mentioned it with the Zadaroff. I don't want to go five years for $4 million a year. If you could just do a, maybe a quote unquote bridge person, get Cole on that one, two year deal. Absolutely. I would definitely sign up for having the reunion with Ian Cole. Yeah, I'm out on this. I'm swiping left as well. JR. I don't think that he's an upgrade over what you have currently. I would just rather stick with Nico Mikola. Try to see what you've got still in Marco Scandella. And then at the trade deadline, you're back in the same spot potentially as you were this year. And you go out there and acquire whoever the next defenseman is that becomes available. But I'm out on Ian Cole. I think you'd rather stick with what you have currently. Let's go to the last one. This is a highly touted player. He's a Stanley Cup champion multiple times over. He spent his entire career in one market in Pittsburgh. Chris Letang is available as an unrestricted free agent. And name only right now. I'm still not convinced he's going to be leaving Pittsburgh, but they've been lowballing him on the offers. He plays a ton of minutes. He is that puck mover that we've been talking about. He's very good on the power play as well. Are you swiping right or left on Chris Letang, who is a righty? So that's part of this conversation, too. On a three-year deal, the Athletic is projecting him at $8.5 million per season. Yeah, I'm swiping left for a number of reasons. I think it's name recognition here. Uh, also, I think he's going back to Pittsburgh. Also, he's a righty. Also, that's a lot of money to spend on a guy that I don't think is going to fix your problems. I mean, I, I really like uh, Justin Falk. Um, you know, I don't think Colton Preco is going anywhere. And Robert Bortuzzo, he is what he is. He's a third-pair guy who brings that role to your team. And, you know, obviously, Apple's Orange is talking about uh, Latang and, and Bortuzzo. But what I'm saying is I don't think he addresses your need for what he's going to cost. So I'm swiping left. I'm swiping left, too, just because I, I'm with JR. To me, it's more name recognition, playing on the right side. And I, I don't want to give him three years at $8.5 million. It makes things much more complicated in the offseason for the St. Louis Blues. So I, I have to swipe left on Latang. I'm doing the exact same. This is just too much money. It's not about the years, but 
eight and a half million dollars and he's probably going to be on your second power play unit like you're just not extracting the value that another team is going to if you bring him in that's really where his value lies and the blues aren't going to get enough minutes from him on the power play to make it worth it coming up here in about 10 minutes or so the only guy that we all swiped right on was nikita zadorov rather by the way so keep an eye on him he's basically the only defenseman that makes sense for this team matthew kachuk coming up in 10 minutes his former teammate or current teammate i guess technically uh matthew kachuk joins the show coming up at noon a quick hitter edition of questions and answers is next here on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Put it in front, blocked by Theodore, got his foot on that pass. Kachuk scores between the legs! you got to be kidding me! He does it again, and makes it 5-0 Calgary. That was just one of the 42 goals that Matthew Kachuk scored this past season. 104 points, a second-team All-Star, a true breakout season for the St. Louis Inn. And Matthew Kachuk joins us now via the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. I do want to say on the front end, listen, we're not going to ask Matthew about coming to play for the Blues. That's not something we're going to cover here. We can do that on our own time. We're not going to use Matthew's time to do so. But Matthew, we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. How are you doing this afternoon? man i'm great guys thank you uh thanks for having me it's always uh, always fun talking to you guys yeah matthew we uh we certainly don't want to ask you about any rumors or speculation about what this offseason is going to entail and could you one day for play for the blues we certainly won't do that to you but what is your favorite color is it red or is it blue <laughs> <laughs> oh geez you can't go anywhere or going anywhere without somebody bringing something up regarding that well um, well, you know what? I'm outside right now talking to guys, and all I can see is green right now, and it looks pretty good, so we'll just go with that. <laughs> green? He's looking at his wallet. He's not looking at the shrubs. I respect that answer. That's a good one. Are you a gooey butter cake guy, or are you a uh, St. Louis-style pizza guy? Which one's your preference out of the two? Uh, gooey butter cake, I think, all day. That's It's too good to pass up. If I you... actually had a – I did something in uh, in Cal um, last year at uh, – and um, I think it was for maybe it was for sure when the the film crew was from St. Louis, so they flew up for the uh, the commercial, and they brought me up uh, a big thing of gooey butter cake. It was probably the best one of the best surprises I've had all year. Matthew, when you're in St. Louis, what are the things that you make sure that you do while you're in town? Like it, people that have kids, they, they've got to go to the zoo, right? I don't know if you've heard, but it's free out here. What are the things <laughs> that you're doing while you're in town here in St. Louis? Well, I think it's nice because I come back for the whole summer. So whatever I, whatever I want to do, I, I can do it multiple times. I mean, I love, obviously, an easy one is I love going to Cardinals games throughout the year. But I can only it's too it's pretty hot, so I can only go to night games <laughs> and like once or one one or two a year with the scheduling and stuff because you know we're gone. It seems like our family's always traveling during July, so you don't really have too much time. But it's uh, it's it's tough too during the year because we only come here once, maybe twice. And for some reason, it seems like most of the time it's been on a back to back. So like you can't even go to your favorite restaurant or, um, yeah, honestly, a, a fun thing that we've done in the past is, um, and I know Brady started to do it too. If we've had a night here the night before is bring, you know, some of the teammates and most of the trainers and basically whoever wants to come, we'll have a, a big, uh, a big dinner slash 
for the trainers, a little bit of a party at my parents' house. So they always look forward to that day. So I guess that's one thing I really look forward to during the year when we have uh, a night here, um, you know, the night before a game. I didn't know the Kachucks had parties. Wow, that's a, that's a new one there. Hey, two days ago, Matthew, uh, the NHL announced its all-star teams. And after your, uh, what would you say, he had 15 goals, 40 points last season? Yeah, something uh, like that. Something like that. Uh, second team all-star. Just what was it like to hear that announcement? I know you're probably refreshing your screen every two seconds. No, I'm kidding. But uh, okay. what was it like to hear that after a sensational season? Well, I've never... Um... I've never like circled this, that date on my calendar, like waiting for that, uh, waiting for that announcement. And, you know, honestly didn't, you know, always thought of myself as a solid player and want to be a part of a great team and, and all that stuff. But, um, you know, never it, to, to be in the, the category with some of the top players in the league. And, um, you know, even my mom said the other day, she's like, it's pretty, pretty damn cool. You're on the, you're on the same, uh, same team or same line as McDavid. So you did something right during the year. So, <laughs> Um, that, uh, I guess, you know, maybe looking back, it'd be pretty cool. I think right now it's still a little sour, just the way it ended. And it always takes me, people always ask me, when, when are you able to get over the season? I think once the Stanley cups handed out, give it about a week or two, once, you know, nobody's playing anymore. I think that's when you can start turning the page the next year. So, um, but I think it is really cool to see that list. And I mean, there's only, you know, what was it? Two players at my position that are named to that and uh with me and marner so um yeah very 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 cool and you probably saw the clip with austin matthews going up to uh, accept the mvp and you probably saw it on the internet people are saying okay this is the guy that's going up to accept an award what's this award for if you had to make it up what's <laughs> austin accepting the award for when he went up on stage looking like that <laughs> um oh geez that, that that puts me on the spot i mean i just saw I didn't. I didn't watch it. I was. I was. Uh, I don't even know what I was doing the other night. But I didn't even watch. I just saw a picture. It seemed like he had a. Uh, seemed like he had like the shirt basically all unbuttoned. It's kind of the way I look at. You know, if I go to like a concert, my shirt's buttoned up, and then by the end of it, it's got no buttons done. So uh, I don't know. It was. Uh, it was. Uh, he's what. He's a fashionable guy, though. You know, he he tries the. He's got the sneakers on, and um, if I if I was going up there, I would just probably stick with just the the normal suit dress shoe like everybody else but he's uh he's definitely unique he had the he had the classic i'm at the end of the night of a wedding look going on oh, where it's like the, yeah. the dress shirt's sure. unbuttoned halfway down the hair's a little I, messy it's he's yeah. got it all going you guys are beating around the bush ron jeremy is <laughs> what we're going for here all right go ahead <laughs> matthew kachuk is our guest here on 101 espn uh matthew i did want to ask you about your line because you johnny goudreau elias Lindholm, there was a, a strong argument that was the best line in, in hockey this year what clicked for you guys? What can you attribute that success to? Um, I, it was just kind of an instant connection. We were put together at the end of the year last year for the last, um, you know, we are really, I think maybe with seven, eight games left, we need to win all eight or, you know, seven go seven of eight to, to get in the playoffs. And we missed by a point or two um, last season. But I just felt like we did a lot of really, really good things. And going into this year, we actually weren't even supposed to play together. Um, at the beginning of camp, we weren't, and then there was an injury to somebody and they threw us together and, um, obviously stuck with it pretty much all the year, except for a few games. And, um, I, I think Lindy is a very underrated player and finally is getting, you know, the recognition he deserves this year with being up for, um, some awards. And it's, it's pretty cool when you have four or three guys that are, you know, 40 goal scorers all in the same line, that that's pretty hard to do like the more you think about it and 
kind of just guys. I'd say Johnny and myself are more pass first guys instead of shooting. And um, but this year we we definitely didn't pass up any shots. And uh, I think Johnny and I we played together a little bit um, in the past, and we worked really well together on on opposite wings and um, able to able to find each other a lot. And we always have that safety valve and in Lindy, who's always in the right spot and has one of the best shots in the NHL. I mean. I, I can't even tell you how many goals he had from the slot this year. I would say three fourths of his goals had to be around that area, and um, just just very strong in his in, in our own zone. And I think it showed we are three of the you know top plus guys in the NHL, which is a stat that I guess can be you know skewed one way or the other. But I think it's pretty impressive for us three. And Matthew, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, in the playoffs, every time you guys scored, there was this tall, you know, athletic-looking fan in the stands, you know, kind of curly hair, uh, just going bananas. I mean, like a super fan, this guy. Uh, yeah, Brady he, he was the guy. He, he was the guy with the tough hairline, right? Is that the guy you're talking about? <laughs> what did you make of uh, Brady and you know, kind of the <laughs> hockey world just uh, going nuts over that? Yeah, um, I don't know. I I thought it was awesome. Everybody in Calgary loved it, and um, I forget somebody brought it up. They're like, "Yeah, some people in the world like aren't like too fond of this right now. They think it's like I don't know, obnoxious or weird that another player um, in the, in the in the league is cheering for you know another team." Well, whoever said that, that person's an absolute idiot and probably never played a sport in their life or never had a brother that played. So we uh, we had a lot of fun with it. We had. Um, such a blast when it was in Dallas. He was he was there for I think two out of the three games in Dallas, and I was up there for Game Seven, and then one and two in Calgary the next series. And when I tell you after Game Seven, we had a few days off, so um, my family uh, we went out for a little bit after the game along the Red Mile. It took probably the first twenty people recognized Brady, and then finally they put it together. Like I, I was walking right next to him and then they're like, Oh, Brady, if you're here, like Matthew's probably here. And then they recognize him. So they recognize me from him. And then the next, and then the next day we're all going out to dinner and we're all walking and there's some people, you know, you can tell they're probably recognizing a little bit and some guy comes up to us and I think he's probably going to say good luck against Edmonton or whatever. He goes, that a boy, Brady <laughs> just completely iced me. I he didn't even look at me. And, uh, so that was the effect he had on Calgary. I, I, we're joking around. He's he's probably going to get a standing O if he scores against us in Calgary next year, um, whatever. But he, uh, you know, he's uh, definitely uh, a fan favorite there. Probably probably more than me, to be honest. Wow. And what's with your dad? He doesn't have another hat. He can't throw his hat on the ice. Well, the way I look looked at it is that's great uh, publicity for Ob Clark. So you get one of those, it's too good to throw it away. So uh, no, it's. Uh, I think I think the OB, uh, Jimmy and the rest of the Jimmy and Joe and everybody from OB Clarks love that. So um, I loved it too. I, I probably he said it was his lucky hat, which is why he uh, didn't throw. But I guess that was the kiss of death once he said that. But I I told him, Dad, I'm sure I could. I'm sure you could have gotten another one. So he's. Uh, yeah, it was funny, though. <laughs> Matthew Kachuk is our guest for another few minutes here on 101 ESPN. Matthew, I know you said it takes you a little while to kind of cool down from the end of the year, but are you watching the Stanley Cup final at all? Are you, are you paying attention to, to these games? Uh, I am a little bit. I, uh, I've i been a little off and on with watching it. Um, I probably watched more of the last two series um, instead of this one, but I uh, I watched the game last night and I just think that Colorado team is just built 
built a little bit different than, than most teams. I think they're the, they're at the, uh, the top of the NHL when it comes to, you know, offense, defense, you know, their forward group, their depth, and, um, they're, they're going to be really tough to beat, uh, or, you know, it's going to be tough for Tampa to come back, but you never know. They've got, uh, the best goalie, um, you know, remaining right now and, and probably the best in the league when it comes to everything. So he, uh, He'll probably give them a chance, I'm sure. Matthew, when on the too many men, if you saw it, we can all have our opinion, but if we've never played the game, we don't know what it's like to get to the bench or get on the ice too soon or whatever. Did you think it was egregious, the too many men last night? I I, I didn't really see – Brady and I were actually just talking about it this morning at workout. I didn't see it, and I didn't I, – they just showed a little bit of a highlight um, of the bench view. It seemed like he came off early, but that, that's just kind of how it – kind of how it is everything happens so fast maybe he he pushed the envelope a little too early but um i don't know if anything they shouldn't be they shouldn't be blaming uh him or uh you know the refs i think it's more blame the guy who he was changing for kind of came off the ice slow so um it's it's too fast and at, at that point it's i don't know if it really made a huge difference or not but i don't know it's an argument Matthew, who's the guy that you enjoy watching? Because we've all got our favorite players, right? The, the, if they're on TV, we're going to be tuning in just for them. Do you have a guy like that where you just enjoy watching and appreciation, appreciating the way that he plays? Yeah, I think it actually, it, it, it's funny you say that because I think this year it changed a lot for me, switching over to right wing. So not only did I want to watch guys that I've enjoyed watching before, like, you know, Patrick Kane and, um, you know, Sidney Crosby and all those guys that I grew up that were my favorite players, Jamie Ben, some of those guys that I tried to model my game after. Um, but switching over to right wing this year, I did a lot of work with watching guys that play their off wing where it's like, I think Panarin's probably one guy that I watched the most of, but I'm nowhere near the level of skill that he has, but just trying to like enter the zone on the off wing and make plays from the backhand and, um, I think watching a guy like him was probably I've gained so much respect for the way he plays and some of the the plays that he can make on the off wing and something that I don't probably do a good job of, but I do try to replicate and um, try to learn from. If you're just joining us, Matthew Kachuk is our guest on uh, BK and Ferrario, and we have a condition here that we're not asking him about any rumors or speculation about joining the Blues. So we're going to stay away from that line of questioning. But as we wrap up here, Matthew, what would it be like to play with Robert Thomas? (laughs) um i've 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 done it before and uh i think that's kind of what started our our great bond that uh i guess it's crazy when you think about it that you know i played with him in london and then stayed with him that summer with his family up in aurora and then he happens to just get drafted by the blues and then plays another year in london and then comes here like the the storyline involving that is just it's just crazy and we're still very very close and actually going uh, meeting him this weekend my brother and i are going to uh going to chicago to hang out with him so um it's gonna be a blast to see him haven't seen him in like a month or so and yeah one of my one of my great friends and we've had some success before so um i i talk about a guy who i really enjoy watching he's he's right at the top of the list so he uh makes everybody around him better and He's, he's a joy to watch. And as we let you go here, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called Tinder, but the last <laughs> segment we played the game called uh, Tinder. I've never heard of it, Matthew. But uh, So we had to do that with defensemen who are going to be free agents. And one of the guys was on your Calgary team, Zadaroff. 
we, we we swiped right. I don't know if you know what it means, but when you swipe right, that means you'll take the person. So uh, what do you think on Zadaroff? What's the scouting report from his teammate? I think he's an awesome player. He hits like a complete truck. And um, you know what? He skates really well. I think he's very deceiving with the way he skates. And um, him and Good Branson were a great pair for us this year. And talk, talk about two guys you wouldn't want to play against. Oh, my God. That would be a horrible game playing against them. So, um, yeah, he's an awesome guy, too. I really, really, really enjoyed playing with him. And uh, just we, he kind of fit in perfect with our team. And um, terrible card player, though. So, <laughs> all behind the scenes. Like, Matthew, he, we, he, we, he kept blaming on the second language. <laughs> that makes sense. I can see how that would be a little bit of an issue. I, if I went over to Russia, I would, ha- I would have to imagine I wouldn't be a particularly good card player over there either. His English is perfect, though, and he's played over uh, North America since he's been like 16 or 17. So I didn't buy that excuse one bit. I respect it. I, I like the fact that he was at least willing to go there to give himself an out. Hey, Matthew, this oh, has been okay. awesome, man. Thank you so much for hopping on with us today. We, we really do appreciate all the time. Congratulations on all of the success this year. We can't wait to watch you again next year, man. No problem. Thanks, guys. Always enjoy it. Have, uh, have a great rest of your day. Absolutely. Thanks, Same man. to you. It's Matthew Kachuk joining us here on 101 ESPN. Uh, seems to be a, a, a sterling report on Nikita Zadorov, other than, you know, not a great card player. So yeah. if, if they do end up having the card games at the back of the plane, I would have to imagine he's probably going to be avoiding those here in St. Louis. Blues players would like to hear that. Get him. Yeah, <laughs> get him. He's the mark. Get him. He's the one you go after. I- Anything in particular stand out to you from that conversation? Jared? You know, just, you know, I just love the family and they're so laid back and so funny. And you can hear Matthew there like yesterday, he texts him, hey, can you join us? And he's got no worries about, you know, coming on here and, and talking to us. And, you know, I think that uh, they're just so down to earth and you can hear it. You know, you see it with uh, Brady in the stands cheering him on. And, and listen to that. I mean, Matthew's telling a story about how they're recognizing Brady, but not recognizing That's awesome. him. It's just uh, every time around that family, it just seems like uh, they bring out the best in you. Everybody's funny, down to earth, having fun. I also loved his answer. What's your favorite color? Red or blue? Uh, actually, green. <laughs> green. Green would be the one. I'm outside right now, and it sure looks green out here. I, I see what you're doing there, Matthew. That's well played. That's going to be a stack of about 9 or $10 million Ooh, of green right there. At a minimum. At a minimum. He's, he's going to do well for himself. So huge thanks to Matthew Kachuk for hopping on with us today. He was awesome. It was good to be able to catch up with him. If you missed it at the beginning of the interview, we, we did tell him, like, listen, we're not, we're not going to get into the rumors with you or anything like that, uh, but it was really great to be able to catch up with him. Today, Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, I want to get back into the NHL playoffs with JR. Have these started to look more like the regular season than they did in previous years? Always in the past, it's been a heavy physical style of play. You need that great goaltending and defensive play as well. Have we started to see a shift in the NHL playoffs? We'll get into that coming up at 1230. But next, are the Cardinals really going to keep running Juan Yepes out there in the outfield? They seem to be doing that today. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. In the air to left. That's hit well. Back on it. Yepes fighting with it. And he can't make the play. And it takes a big bounce. Taylor winds it up. Bader's throw comes in, cut off, tie game. A wild ride in left field for Yepes. 
Yelich ends up at second. This game tied at three. Right, he was never really comfortable under that fly wall, was he? I mean, that was a circuitous route. Spinning himself around. He got to catch that. That's not what you want to see. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford, he's filling in for Alex Ferrario today. That's Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. That audio courtesy of the Brewers TV network. It was an adventurous game last night for Juan Yepes. Two for three at the plate. You'll love right. to see that. Uh, not a great route, though, in left field, and it not resulted a in a route. run scoring. Could have been better. Let's put it that way. Could, could have. He got himself all turned around. Hey, he didn't Couldn't climb really the wall, the okay? He didn't climb the wall, and it landed like 20 feet in front of him. Somehow, some way, though, he is back in left field today. I can't explain it. I'm not going to try to explain it to you. The funny thing is, it, it's been mostly fine for Juan Yepes in left. He's made a couple of misplays that came back to bite him, but mostly it's been all right. And you'll want to get that bat into the lineup because on the year he's batting 285. He's got an 805 OPS that plays. But whoo boy, I would start limiting his playing time as much as possible in that field. And we got a report yesterday from Ollie Marvel that apparently Tyler O'Neill's hamstring is not as bad as it initially expected. So he should be able to come off the IL pretty soon. The moment that he comes off the IL, you plug and play that guy back into left field because, oh boy, I am missing that defense right now. I think you're making a lot about nothing. I saw two similar plays in the outfield Tuesday night at Afton Athletic Association. Yeah. <laughs> Watching the uh, nine U's there. and uh... <laughs> Yeah, that that's a play right there. That's... That's why I always question, you know, and we talked about it with Gorman because the reports with Gorman were that, you know, his defense at second base was subpar at best. I, that's why I've, and I understand why they're doing it now where you get Yepes in left field because they're giving Brendan Donovan a day off, which makes a ton of sense. Uh, and you're not like today, you're DHing Arnado, so it makes sense that you're going to have Donovan at third and you're going to plug uh, Yepes back in the outfield. But yeah, when, when you get O'Neill back and you have your quote unquote everyday lineup, there's no excuse, no reason not to have Juan Yepes at the DH spot because he's just not a great defender. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's not like last year where you had the pitcher hitting and you basically had to be a solid to average defender, whatever position you were playing. That was the issue they always ran into with a guy, and I know I've comped him to him before all the time, but it's Jose Martinez. The issue with Jose Martinez all the time was, okay, boy, that bat, that is great in the lineup. Man, where can we hide him defensively? <laughs> and that's kind of the same thing with Juan Yepes right now. It, he's a DH, and I don't think there's any question about it. I think he's good defensively at first. He's okay defensively at first base. I was base. about to say, good or strong. Uh, yeah, sorry. He's okay at first base. You can get away with him if Goldie needs a day off and you need to plug him in at first base. But he's just a DH, and there's nothing wrong with that. Be a guy that's going to hit the 280 like he's doing right now, and you can keep his bat in the lineup every day. But, yeah, he's definitely going to be a DH moving forward because I know what Ollie was saying earlier in the year when he said, he caught the ball, and now I <laughs> he completely the ball understand. And he threw the ball, yeah. and that's all you could say about him. So, if you were putting together your ideal outfield for the Cardinals right now, it it does not include Juan Yepes. He's certainly what? a DH. Uh, he's my Alex impression. The, there. the the typical <laughs> response from Ollie Marmo when you ask him what's his best position, he say in, he says in the batter's box. That that's where we like to see him play, not in the field. I saw yesterday on MLB Network. They did a really interesting topic where they said, okay, if you were to put together your the the best outfield possible from the history of baseball, who are you going with? And of course, everybody went with like Willie Mays and you've got Barry Bonds out there. A lot of people were putting Mike Trout into the conversation as well. I wanted to localize this. Let's go back to the year 2000 because I think that's when Tanner was born. And yeah. let, let's go into over the last basically 20 years. So since the turn of the century. Who would be on the Cardinals' ideal outfield? 65780 is the air comfort service text line if you want to throw yours into the mix. 
I think there's one guy that every one of us, all three of us, are probably going to have on this list, and it's the center field spot. John Jay. I can't imagine going anybody other than Jim Edmonds as your center fielder for the Cardinals since 2000. Is that who you guys had there as well? Because the corner outfield, I think there's there are real arguments to be made there. I don't think that I can argue for anybody other than Jim Edmonds own center. Yeah, I think we're going unanimous there. Yeah, yeah, I had Edmonds because of the defense, his power that he plays with, and that's why I think when we talk about Harrison Bader all the time, I think that's why sometimes he gets a little bit of the critique from Cardinals fans of, well, he's just not a great player. It's because they say he can't hit. Well, he can hit. He's hitting, what, 270 now? But everybody expects they're comparing him to the Jim Edmonds from when he was in his prime. You're just not going to get that from somebody like Harrison Bader today. All right, so we're going with Jim Edmonds. Tanner, who do you have as the, like, this is the second guy on my list? I got to have him in one of my corner outfield spots. The second guy for me is Matt Holiday, newly elected into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. I I, I think he, you put him in left field where uh, he belongs. I mean, he was incredible there. Now the tail end of it here in St. Louis kind of fell off the table for Matt Holiday, but he was near the end of his career. But you you look at his time in St. Louis. I mean, he was here for eight years, and he hit two ninety three and had an OPS of eight seventy four and an OPS plus of 138. So he's 38 percent above league average look I'm not saying my outfield is going to be great defensively that I'm building here from the last 20 years but boy if they can hit like Matt Holiday and them could then yeah he's easily number two for me on this list so left field was I, I have Matt Holiday as well I actually think he's an underrated cardinal of the last 20 years like somehow be it, it was always it's kind of the conversation that you were saying about um, Harrison Bader where he gets the comparisons to well he's he's no Jim Edmonds I think Holiday was kind of, well, yeah, he's a really good player, but he's not what Albert was. And the the reality is nobody's going to be Albert. Like that guy was, he's the best right-handed hitter of this generation or maybe of all time. So I I think Matt Holiday honestly sometimes gets underrated. JR, did you have Matt Holiday as part of your outfield? I, uh, it was close, but I did not. Like if I'm putting together a fantasy team, I have to have Tommy Pham (laughs) on my fantasy team. (laughs) How did you guys not have Tommy Pham on a fantasy team? It's fair. Team? I, I understand. I, I see what you did there. Yeah. No. So with uh, with that left field position, Holiday so close. I was a big Matt Holiday fan, but I also go back further than you guys, and I'm going Ray Langford. I love That's it. It's a good one. I, he's another really guy good. that I think it's underrated sometimes in these conversations of all time great Cardinals. He's he was such a good player. I had like so I had when we put these together, I put my three outfielders together, and then I put together a list of guys that would be like quote unquote on the bench or right behind them. And I had Langford as one of those as left field. The other one I had was Ryan Ludwig. I mean, it was only yeah. four years, but when Ludwig was here, Ryan Great. Ludwig was I- incredible. He played really good for four years. I mean, he hit two. Uh, it just has numbers two eighty seven, I believe, in his four years here, two eighty here, and then he had eight fifty seven OPS. I mean, he's not a guy that stands out when you think back of Cardinals outfielders over the last twenty years. But in that four year stretch, I mean, Ryan Ludwig was really good, and you. He, He's another one of those guys that you Dude, wonder, what happens if you didn't deal with injuries? His 2008 season, any time that I go back for reference points on like uh, power numbers, RBI numbers, whatever it ends up being, guys that hit like he was at 299 in terms of his batting average that season. He nearly had a 300, 400, 500 season where you're 300 batting average, 400 on base and 500 slugging percentage. He finished that year with 37 home runs, 104 RBI, basically a 300 batting average and a 150 OPS plus. Like He was unbelievable in 2008 it was basically mv3 but you add in ryan ludwig into that conversation so he he definitely deserves to be in the mix so i so far have edmonds and holiday we're both on the same line there tanner alec or alex jr has Edmonds and langford langford my third guy in the mix was lance berkman that was my third candidate for right field now 
I think this is where things get really interesting because there are a lot of candidates that, that I looked at. I thought about J.D. Drew. I gave consideration to Carlos Beltran. I thought he was great in the brief period that he was here. You could make an argument for Larry Walker or Ray Langford. I thought about all of those players. But God, Lance Berkman was productive in his couple of seasons here in St. Louis. You look back at that, that first year, 300, 400, 500, like I just mentioned in terms of his batting average on base and slugging percentage. He hit 31 home runs, 94 RBI. He scored 90 runs that year as well. The Cardinals do not win the World Series that season, if not for the really smart uh, deal to to make sure that Berkman ends up as a part of this team. So I'm going Lance Berkman as my third guy in this lineup. Yeah, I really like that one. The one that I went with in right field, because I had Berkman, Beltron, J.D. Drew as guys that I considered. And I, I think he's an underrated Cardinal because just the way his career ended, and it is one of the biggest what-if moments for me, and it's Alan Craig. I would put Alan Craig in, in right field. I mean, you look at his career. I think he hit 300 before you take out that season where he was coming back from he all awesome. those injuries. He was awesome. And the number one thing that stands out to me from Alan Craig, and I'm trying to find his numbers here, is with runners in scoring position. He was one of the clutchest hitters that I've ever seen when it comes to when runners were on base. With runners in scoring possession, position in his career, he hit 341 and wow. had a 953 <laughs> OPS. He was incredible. Runners were on scoring position. He was one, of, I think, in 20... I believe it was 14 before the playoffs was the year when he got hurt, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and he got hurt in the World Series. He was one of the best hitters in Major League Baseball with runners in scoring position. I think it was like historic, if I remember correctly. So I would put Alan Craig out there because I think if he's not injured, he's one of the best. We're talking about a guy that had a very long career here in St. Louis, and his bat was just productive. He had power. He could hit for average, and he was just clutch. And, and I know it's probably an unpopular opinion to put Craig on this list with a guys like Berkman and uh, J.D. Drew and the Carlos Beltrons, but I think if you're talking about just pure hitters and wanting that in a, if you were to put a fantasy together lineup of an outfield in the last 20 years, I would put Alan Craig on that list. Yeah, no, that's a good choice, you know, until it got to the point where it was like, okay, if you're going to keep putting him in the lineup, I'm going to trade him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that was a, a tough ending for Alan Craig, but good choices by both of you guys. I'm going to go, maybe I'm going nostalgia here, I'm going uh, Larry Walker. You I know, love I, it. I really do feel like uh, when he came here, what a pleasure to have him on the roster. You saw him, you know, put up his big numbers in Colorado, obviously, but then to to be a Cardinal before he goes into the uh, the Hall of Fame. So I'm going to go Langford. I'm going to go Jim Edmonds, and I'm going to go Larry Walker. That's interesting. I, you look back, and there are so many guys that had like a they were almost shooting stars, right? They had, whether it was at the back end of their careers, like it was with Berkman and Walker, or, uh, I mean, you can make the same case for Beltron as well, or guys on the front end that just, it didn't last very long, like Craig or Ludwig. The Cardinals have had some really good outfielders over the years. Even Jason Hayward, like we, you yeah. look at what he's done now and you say to yourself, oh, what a bust of a contract. Man, he was really productive in his cup in his season here Cardinals in St. Louis. Really brought him back for they a tried. similar contract. They tried. Yeah. They just didn't get. They gave him more money, but without the opt outs. Um, so it, they, they've had some really productive players. If I told you that by the end of their respective careers, there is one Cardinal, either current or down in the minors right now, that ends up being a part of this list. Let's say ten years from now, where they overtake. For you, Tanner, maybe it's Holiday, Edmonds, or Craig. Or for you, Jr., it's Langford, Edmonds, Walker. I had Holiday, Edmonds, and Berkman. Who would be the guy that you would pick as the one that overtakes one of those players to be in the next Cardinal starting outfield? Mm. Can I give you tough. my answer? Oh, I know your answer, I think. I don't think you do. Oh, who is it? Jordan Walker. Oh, there you go. Oh, well, what the? <laughs> I Pulls thought we were talking about the, the three that are in the outfield now. He I did saw, mention I I'll saw give a it to report him. the other day that Jordan minors. Walker has been, he's been during practices, like pregame, 
uh, taking fly balls in the outfield because that's where they think that his future is going to be. I think Jordan Walker, based on everything we've seen thus far, is the real deal. Like he's going to be a 15 plus stolen base guy that can hit 30 plus home runs and bat like 280 plus in any individual season. I think Jordan Walker, by the end of his career, could be a part of this list. Okay, I thought you were talking about the three that are in the outfield now. No, I said current or could okay. be down the line. I, I get what you're saying now. Uh, Walker's a good one. I, if you had to give me a choice, I would probably say him. But I, I, I struggle to say that because like I don't read too much in him just shagging fly balls and like BP and all that because like most guys, some guys go out and do that anyways. He has not until this year. Okay, so but I, I just until I see him in the outfield, I won't buy into Jordan Walker. So with that being said, I'm not sure there is a guy like I could see overtaking the three that I have. Uh, Harrison Bader, he's not going to be able to replace Jim Edmonds in center field. I, I think he's going to be a guy that will be number two on that list. Agreed. It'll be an honorary secondary by the time his career is done in St. Louis. Uh, O'Neal, I'm just not sure if he'll ever be healthy enough and be able to repeat what he did last year. And he's going to have to do that to overtake a Holiday or a uh, Alan Craig. And then Dylan Carlson, I think Dylan Carlson's going to be a guy that you look at and has a long career here in St. Louis. Could be a guy that plays here for five to ten years the problem is is i don't know if he'll ever like put up like the big sexy numbers to where it's i have to put that guy in the lineup ahead of the three that i have so i'm not sure there's a guy that will come on and make the list in the near future first of all i can't believe that you say that there's a guy in the minors that will be the real deal haven't you fallen into that trap before have you watched the team this year (laughs) have you seen nolan gorman did did you not like the 400 plus foot home runs that we've seen all right let him play a full season here no i I like him uh i was gonna go and i agree with everything taylor uh tanner just said but uh you know if i had to pick one let's say you had to pick one you can't take the i don't i don't think any of these guys will make it um carlson you know I, i feel like you know he's got an opportunity to be that guy if he has that long, distinguished career. Yeah, I think about. he could be similar to your pick of Ray Lankford. Like, that's the yeah, way that he right. does it is where he's kind just really productive in every aspect of the game. He ends up having more stolen bases than he's shown so far in his career. He hits for good power, but not a 35-plus home run guy. And ends, you, you look back at his career and you're like, damn, that guy, he was a 280 hitter. He always got on base. He hit for power. He had really good defense in the outfield. Like he gave you everything. I, that that's Carlson's path. If I had to say one, I would probably say O'Neill because I think O'Neill, whether or not he does end up repeating what he did last year, he's a guy you're always going to remember for being just one, just being massive. But two, being a guy that always had power. Sure, he struck out a lot, and you'll always remember him as being a great defensive player with great speed, which is what Cardinals fans love. And then that power again. He's a guy that even if he struggles, like this year, he's had his struggles. He's dealt with injuries. Would it shock you at all if he ended up hitting 25, 30 home runs this year? Carlson? No, O'Neal. O'Neal. Oh, O'Neal. Uh, I just don't think he has time to do it now, but like, I think what he finishes with will pace out to be that. Yeah, so like, I think that's the guy. The reason is because that's why I think he could overtake somebody if I had to pick one. So can the text line tell us who won or lost this? So I'll put this up on Twitter, at 101 ESPN. We'll put out our three outfields that we chose, and we'll see who ends up winning in terms of uh, being the most popular among Cardinals fans. We'll do that at 101 ESPN on the listeners i love the listeners (laughs) coming up in 10 minutes we'll dive into the junk drawer but next have these playoffs started to look more like the regular season and if so what does that mean for the way that doug armstrong should construct the team in the offseason we'll talk about that next year on 101 espn we're right back to the pk and ferrario podcast presented by dobbs tire and auto centers on 101 espn Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's time for your chance to win 
a free copy of the 100 things every blues fan should know Woo. and do before they die. God, this is such a great book. And it is written by the one and only Jeremy Rutherford. If you are texter number 19 at 65780, that's the air comfort service text line. And you can tell us what Matthew Kachuk told us earlier today is his favorite color. Texter number 19 at 65780. You will win a free copy of the 100 things that every blues fan should know before and do before they die. And by the way, I have been told by a little birdie that the author of that book is willing to sign it for you as well. And decrease the value. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually increases it exponentially. And it's a memory that they'll never forget. So Jeremy Rutherford's book, if you are the texture number 19 and you can tell us what Matthew Kachuk's favorite color is, you will be the winner of the 100 things blues fans should know and do before they die. By the way, you can get that right now over on Amazon or wherever books are sold. All right, Jr. We were talking about this before the show today. I want to get your thoughts on it. The playoffs to me, and I haven't gone through the numbers, but I know earlier in the the postseason this was true. The playoffs have been higher scoring than we've seen in recent years. There do seem to be more penalties that have been called in these playoffs than there have been previously. The teams that are playing, or especially the, uh, the Avs, are not the typical heavy, grinded out, great goaltending team that you expect to see in the Stanley Cup. Do you think that we're going to look back on this playoff run and say, yeah, that was a one-off future years didn't look quite the same way that it did in 2022. Or do you think this is a new norm of what we'll see in the future for the playoffs? It's a fair question because I think that what we've seen this past year with goal scoring up around the league, and we're talking about significantly, you know, we've written stories about it. There was one at the athletic Mike Russo did a great job where he interviewed a lot of the top young scorers today. And they mentioned a a variety of reasons, valid reasons why we've seen scoring go up. You know, you don't typically see a lot of penalties called in the playoffs. You have this playoff. There are teams capitalizing on the power play and making a difference. It's rewriting what we've known to be the story of the playoffs. I don't think it's a one-off. I think for the reasons stated, you know, at less practice time, more skill, you know, defenses are having a hard time controlling, you know, some of these offenses. I think we could see this uptick in offense and it translate into the style of play we're seeing this playoff for a while and you know things are cyclical coaches are going to figure things out and figure out a way to counter it but I don't think this is a one-year deal and next year we're back to the grinded out you know defense wins championships yeah I'm with you JR I, I don't think this is a one-off I, I think you're going to start seeing the play playoffs get called closer towards the regular season in terms of the amount of penalties you see in them now like last night was kind of the normal typical playoff game I expect I think both sides had two power plays if I'm not mistaken but the previous game Tampa Bay had six power plays and I think there are factors that play into it JR listed some of them you know the speed is just at another level that we've seen now and defensemen are having to adjust and let's be honest if you're skating backwards and McKinnon's coming at you that's a terrifying that's a feeling. great point yeah that's why the penalties are being called because you're seeing so much of the skill that you just there's no other way to catch up to it yeah and you you get beat and what do you got to do you got to take a penalty so you don't allow McKinnon to you know kind of dance through the zone like we saw what happened against the Blues in their playoff series. So I think there are some reasons for why it's getting why you're seeing an uptick in penalties in the playoffs. But I think just another part of it, too, is, look, the NHL's not complaining about there being more scoring because it's more exciting yeah. for the fans. And, and gambling. Exactly. Well, that, too. I didn't even think of that aspect, but it's true. But And the other part of it, too, is what is 
look, I love watching the old playoff hockey. If it's grinded out, I actually enjoy it being more physical style play. What's the most anxious you are in a playoff series? And honestly, even though you're anxious, it's fun. It's when your team's got to either be on the power play and has a chance to take the lead five on four, or your team's on the penalty kill. And uh, bring up that, it brings bring in more of those, bring in the uptick in offense. The NHL is not going to complain about it. And, and sure, if you're a hockey fan, you miss the old style of it. I understand it, but I think this is the way it's going to be. I think you're going to see playoffs get called more like the regular season just moving forward. I think teams are going to have to adjust to it. Hey, and another thing we can add to this conversation is we were talking about Colorado's goaltending situation earlier. You know, the goaltenders around the league, they're just not that great. So that's another reason why we see the scoring uh, up. And and do you look around the league and say, wow, there's a bunch of good 24, 25-year-old goaltenders that are going to shut this thing down? You know, I don't, I don't see that. There's still good goaltending in the league, but that's why I don't see these offensive numbers going down. And, and So what does that mean for the Blues? Because you go to the offseason and we think about, A, what they're going to do on the left-handed defense side of things, and B, what their plan should be in their top nine where things mostly feel set. What does it mean for Doug Armstrong? Like As you look to the playoffs, you say, okay, this is the way that things are going to be played. Maybe it's for the next three to five years and it changes again. How does that influence what you're doing this offseason for the Blues? Well, if you're going to, let's let's set a condition that, you're using this roster, right? Because if we want to talk about Tarasenko leaving, that opens up a whole sure. can of worms, right? Let's I, say you mostly stay mostly as currently stay, constructed right? and you've got like $5 million to work with. I say stay the course. And and look, we saw a much better balance and production during the regular season from the 9-20 goal scores you know, than we did in the playoffs. There were some guys that disappeared in the playoffs. But I say stay the course. I can't sit here with a pen and paper right now and say, like I have a lot of other years, and say the Blues need this. They need somebody with speed to keep up. You know, they've got Jordan Cairo. Well, they need somebody with some passing ability, great vision. Well, they've got Robert Thomas. They've got goal scores. They've got 30 goal potential. I think the answer to your question is you can always upgrade. You can always find a guy to help you, but I stay the course, even based on what we're seeing right now with uh, the way the league's been playing. Does it influence your left-handed defenseman that you're looking for? Like in previous years, let's say five years ago, I think a guy like Ben Chirot would have been at or near the top of a list of what I want for the Blues. I don't know that I need that style of player. Like we talked about Nikita Zadorov earlier today. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Blues. But it's less about him being this hulking defenseman and more just because I think he's pretty good. Like, I just want a a really solid player that is predictable, that plays well on the blue line. And I'm not necessarily looking for that physical, big, get in front of the net and move people type of a defenseman. I want guys that can move the puck. So, yeah, okay, so I see where you're going. And and here's my answer. I think, yeah, in today's Day and age, if you have a Nick Letty and he's one of your left shot guys along with Tory Krug, and you have another guy who's, you know, not exactly similar to those guys, but he's not uh Sherratt, right? He he's a guy that moves the puck. I think you can win like that. I, I just think there there's times when you need some physicality. And if you're not getting it from the Krugs or the Prinovich or, you know, Colton Prekos, those types of guys, where are you gonna get it from? I know it's way oversimplification to say this, but you know, is Kadri busting to the net and running Bennington Bennington if there's a guy and that he's afraid of in front of the net? I don't it's know. At, least if, at a minimum, it's a fair question. Yeah, and you know that guy would have to be on the ice at that point in time and in front of the net and so on and so forth. You know, whether to make Kadri's decision whether he's going to do that or not. But I do think they could add some physicality. It doesn't have to be an ogre type guy, you know, who can't move. And so I'm not saying that. A lot of times, you you say they need a physical guy. People envision that's who you're talking about. You know, no, there are guys out there that can skate still and and play a little rougher style than what we see in this Blues defense. Yeah, I, I think the defenseman is a guy that can skate well. He can be a little bit physical, but I think the number 
one thing that he has to be like if you were to say what's the number one attribute you're looking for in the defenseman that the Blues are going to be looking for it's can he just get the puck out of the zone and I think the Blues showed that by going and getting a Nick Luddy I said at the time I went felt like I got socks for Christmas at the trade <laughs> deadline because I thought they were going to go bigger and better and it was going to be that physical guy that could play uh, the game would just be strong in front of the net. And they went and got Nick Letty. And, and look, I thought at the time it was underwhelming, but he played really well. And what was it because? Because he helped the Blues get the puck out of the zone. It felt kind of like, I said this uh, as we got towards the end of the season, it felt like when the Cardinals said, what do we need to do last year? We just need a guy that's going to throw the ball in the zone and we'll play to it. Blues found the guy that's basically, yeah, we just need a guy that can get the puck out of the zone. And I think that's the number one attribute that they're looking for. Coming up in 10 minutes, we're going to talk about Johan Oviedo and whether or not he could be on a similar path to a current St. Louis Cardinals reliever. I think that there's one guy that makes a lot of sense as the comp for Johan Oviedo. We'll do that coming up in 10 minutes. The junk drawer, though, is coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve a checking account today. And Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's dive into the junk drawer. JR, how much do you know about crypto? Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Ethereum? Not much. Dogecoin? What is it? Is that a real is that a real one? Dogecoin? Kinda. I mean, it was something that what's his face wanted to get going, and it it was like 10 cents per share or whatever. I'm gonna present myself as somebody who knows a lot about this. I do not. I want to say that on the front end, but just to be able to have the conversation about this. Uh, so Bitcoin had a ton of value. I think it was trading at like sixty thousand dollars, something like that, per per Bitcoin, quote unquote. Uh, this was a few months ago, and it has really cratered over the last few months. Because you buy buy stock in it, essentially. Like you're buying Bitcoin, but it. You buy oh, it as I, if you were buying shares. I know shares. how it works, but I'm assuming that you bought some and that's I did what not. It, no, oh. I did not. Um, huh. Just because I don't understand it at all and I can't put that much money towards something that I don't understand and, and anything about. And you already about. knew the BKO effect, so yeah. Yeah, I've invested in Peloton instead and that's gone super well for me. Um, sports stars have invested in this as part of their salaries, JR. Many of them invested a lot of money into Bitcoin. So I'm going to give you a few names and we can talk about how much they have lost so far by putting their salaries or signing bonuses towards Bitcoin. Saquon Barkley of the NFL, he invested in July of 2021. He put $10 million Goodness. towards Bitcoin. Saquon. It is now worth six. Yeah. Odell Beckham Jr. in January of this year. I can't believe this one. He put 750 k in, so not too much. It's now down to 430K. Andre Iguodala of the Golden State Warriors. Congratulations to him on another NBA title. January of this year, put $2.65 million towards Bitcoin. It is now down to $1.3 million. Russell Okung, he was one of the first to do this. He said, you know what? I don't want to be paid in salary anymore. I want to be paid in Bitcoin. They can't actually do that in the NFL. So what they do is they pay you. You end up going and getting that translated into Bitcoin. He put $6.5 million towards Bitcoin last year in February. That is down to $2.5 million today. 
Now let's go to the big one. Trevor Lawrence last year put his entire bonus into Bitcoin and Ethereum and something that I'm not familiar with called Solana. He invested $24 million. It is down to $8.9 million today. Oh, Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine if you said to yourself, just got $25 million, it is in the bank account, but nope, I'm going to invest that. I'm going to have something ready to go three, five years from now. Imagine how much this is going to be worth. Oh, my goodness. And one year later, now this could recoup value. Anybody that's into Bitcoin or crypto will tell you, hey, that they're... It's an investment. That just down, like anything that else. Downline, okay. That's, right. that's like not going to happen forever. $15 million you have lost in one calendar year, JR. Can you imagine? I do feel like you have people driving down the road, though, going, it'll come back. They need to <laughs> yeah. you know, buy more, and which may be the case. That's No, that's astounding. It oh, is. Oh, my God. I, I could understand if you, what did you say, signing bonus was $24 million? $24 million. Uh, so I could imagine the theory of, okay, instead of going with all of it in Bitcoin, maybe I put like 25% at best sure. into it. That makes a ton of sense because then it's like, oh, well, then I can potentially quadruple 25% of $25 million. But going all in like that, and oh, I just it's fun this way though, Tanner. You have lost 63% of your initial investment. If it made it, he could have retired Trevor Lawrence you know, I, in five years. If I put my salary all in on Bitcoin and the way this is trending, I'm not sure I, I'd have to live with the <laughs> yeah. Tanner wouldn't be able to buy that Ethernet cord yeah, anymore. Yeah. cable I could not have gotten. Man, God bless him for be, for like, it's super risky and you know that going in, right? These markets are volatile and the same is true in some ways of the stock market, although there is like hundreds of years of history there as opposed to this where it is like five. very new and you don't know what the future holds for it. And Oh, buddy. Six, three, I, I don't six. have that kind of risk in me. Like when I invest, I'm going Apple and Google yeah. and all of the things. Johnson and Johnson. It's like, oh, buddy. The, the one thing, though, is obviously because Bitcoin being and crypto being a hot topic, right? Like, I'm sure we could do the same list with another investment and athletes involved. And it oh, would sure. be millions and millions. I mean, the stock market same, right now. Yeah. Don't check your 401k. I <laughs> wouldn't recommend doing it. It's not pretty. But, man, I... Somebody said, what about Tom Brady's coin? This is the other thing that's weird about all of this. It's like now you see these guys that are coming out with these NFT things. And there's like football players, basketball players. A lot of athletes have come up with their own NFTs. And they've got like websites that are specifically designed for them. Man, I've seen no fewer than five or ten different ones of these that were like later on found to be essentially fraudulent. And there's no way to really go into okay here is how we're going to regulate these sorts of things it's it is the wild wild west out there and if you invest in the right one you're set if you invest in the wrong one you are set back in a massive way like trevor lawrence is today i can't imagine losing 18 million dollars of my investment over the course of one calendar year to invest now no thank you i know that (laughs) trick Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll play a game of Believe It or Not. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line. If you've got a scenario, we will tell you if you are believing it or not. That's coming up at 115. But next, could Johan Oviedo be on a similar path to this current Cardinals reliever? We'll tell you who that is next. You're on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss and a strikeout for Oviedo. Two in the inning. And the 1-2 swung on and missed Johan Oviedo. Seven in a row and three strikeouts along the way. Johan Oviedo was awesome last night, and he's been great, really, since the moment that he moved into the bullpen. He's going 96, 97 miles per hour in terms of the velocity coming off of the hand. He's missing bats. He is inducing soft contact. Everything you want to see out of a bullpen arm, he's starting to do. That audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest and alongside Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kiley. Tanner, as I look at what we've seen in the last really three outings, but you can date all the way back to his last five from Johan Oviedo, it's starting to remind me of the career path that Hennessy Cabrera took. Because in his first six seasons, Cabrera in the minors, he started almost all of the games in which he appeared. He started 92 of the 114 games that he played in the minors uh, for mostly Tampa Bay, but then eventually here in St. Louis as well. He had a 4.2 ERA. He was striking out roughly nine per nine innings, and he just wasn't overall that effective as a starter. You look at what Johan Oviedo did in the minors. He started 93 games. Again, Hennessy Cabrero started 92. Oviedo had a 4.7 ERA down in the minors. Nine strikeouts per nine innings. The whips were very similar. Don't tell Jim Edmonds that, but the whip for both pitchers was very similar. The trajectory of Johan Oviedo as a reliever reminds me of what we saw when Hennessy Cabrera took that plunge into being a reliever and uh, looking like a quote-unquote failed starter. I don't think this is a bad thing for Oviedo. I'm not sure that he's ever going to be a starter. I think he might just be a guy that projects to go through the order, as you said earlier, one time. And if Johan Oviedo right now can solve the middle inning issues that the Blues, the Blues, that the Cardinals have had so far this season, man, that is a huge value add for them. They could otherwise have to go to the trade deadline and trade real prospects to be able to solve that issue. And instead, I'm watching Johan Oviedo right now, and I say to myself, man, I trust this guy. I trust him to come in and keep the score where it is currently. Yeah, I, and I don't like the – it's what people say. I don't like the notion of the failed starter because I get what – I. it's true. He didn't work out as a starter, so then he becomes a bullpen. But everybody is a starter when they start pitching. I mean, Ryan Helsey, he was a starter. You look at uh, – I'm not sure Giovanni Gallegos was, but you mentioned Cabrera. Cabrera was that as well. Guys in the past have been that where they go to the bullpen. His stuff has always been able to play. I mean, when he got called up in 2020 during that pandemic season, you could tell that the stuff was there. It's just he's not a guy that is able to uh, go deep into games because as he starts – to get that pitch count up, whether it's fatigue or it's just the stuff then loses its effectiveness because guys in that second time through the order see the ball really well out of his hand. I I think he can be a solid reliever for the Cardinals. Now, I, I'm glad to see him starting to kind of mold into this role and kind of, I agree with you, I think he has the potential to be a guy that looks like Henesis Cabrera and takes over that part where he is able to um, go from that starter that becomes this lights-out reliever and the fact that he's able to do it now, and if he can solve this issue for the Cardinals, I still think they should be looking for a big end reliever and be willing to part with maybe one prospect to try and go get another really? electric arm. I think you need six or seven elite arms in your bullpen when you get to the playoffs. I mean, last year the Cardinals had that. You had six guys that you really trust in that bullpen. And right now, if you, you add in like Cabrera, last year's bullpen was better than their current one by the end, uh, yes, I think last year's. If you had, if I had to pick between last year's bullpen and this year's bullpen, I would take uh, last year's. 
Because I thought you had four legitimate guys that could be like a seventh, eighth inning setup man with Luis Garcia when he got right. And then you had McFarland that was pitching really well for you as well. So they had five guys that you trust. I feel like I'm missing somebody in the bullpen as well. Uh, but I, I think that they will still need another arm. Even if Oviedo and Cabrera, or excuse me, Oviedo and uh, Thompson end up being this right and left-handed middle relief guys. What if Hicks works? If Hicks works, then no. But uh, like, like right now, I'm still going on the upside. I know he's going to be back here shortly. Until I see it with Jordan Hicks and he's healthy and he looks effective again coming out of the bullpen, I would still be planning on having another, adding another reliever. And honestly, I don't, even if he's healthy, why not go get somebody else? Why not see if you can add Roster. another starter? I, I get it, but I mean, like right now, the problem is Ver, Verhagen's contract would be the one that would hold you up because McFarland, you could DFA for what is it, two and a half million dollars. Uh, Whitgren, if you had to, you could DFA, but I think he's a good solid arm to keep in the bullpen for now. I just think they need another guy that is lights out, strikeout stuff. I think Oviedo is more of he's got the stuff to play. He's more of a contact guy, in my opinion. So, what do you guys think at the end of the season is more probable that we'll be saying Oviedo became that middle inning guy that really dug him out of a hole they needed somebody or man that four game stretch yeah, he remember really when stepped he was good up. remember that I think it's the former I, I think that Oviedo has figured something out as a bullpen arm now he's gonna have blow-up games like there will be games that come up where he just doesn't have command and he it's similar to Cabrera where you're like whoa this was just not his night there are nights when Cabrera doesn't look right and you can tell right away he walks the first batter and you're like I don't know that he's gonna be able to get this thing going and so that that could happen to Oviedo from time to time. But I trust that he is, I don't want to say fixed, but he's found the role that suits what his skill set is. So I, I think it's the former. I think he's going to be a guy that I don't trust him as a, to your point, Tanner, seventh, eighth, ninth inning player. I don't think you need him to be that. He's a guy that comes in when your starter goes short and he gives you the fifth and the sixth. He gets through the lineup once or he goes through seven guys in that lineup and then you go to your big time guns to be able to get through the back end. But I, I think he's he's found the role that suits him. Uh, BK and Fargo special. I'm kind of sitting on the fence because I, I could see either way. I, I still view it as a short sample of Oviedo for me to jump on board and say, yeah, he's the guy that's going to hold down this role for the rest of the year. Could he do it? I could, I could see it because his stuff does look better. The way the way that I would really judge it is what happens when he does have that blow-up game. How does he respond? Because that's always been a big thing. I mentioned it, in, uh, I think, when we opened the show with Oviedo, is he looks more confident now. He looks like he's got his mojo back as a solid reliever coming out of the bullpen. You could see at times when he was a starter, he just didn't look like he was confident he was going to get guys out. So I think it just depends on how he responds to that blow-up game. So right now, I would probably lean towards just the latter of I'm not sure certain that he's going to be this guy moving forward but another handful of outings he continues to look good and if he responds to maybe a game where he has a rough outing and he looks good after that then yeah i'll buy on board that johan Oviedo can be this guy the cardinals are looking for with jeremy rutherford and tanner hendricks and i'm brandon kiley coming up in about 15 minutes should the blues run it back next year or is that too risky of a model to follow we'll talk about that coming up at 1 30 but next let's play a game of believe it or not including i can't believe what i just saw in this cardinals game we'll tell you about it next year on 101 espn we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Look at what's happened to me. I can't believe it myself. JR, not only did you get to do Tinder Thursday, you get to do Believe It or Not as well. Go ahead, JR, you can sing it. You, don't you know the song, right? Believe it or not, I'm walking on air. Never thought I could feel so free. When JR woke up 
today. That's what he thought he would be doing on the radio. Alongside Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Let's play a game of Believe It or Not. Let's start out with what just happened in the Cardinals game. So Jason Alexander has put together one heck of a season thus far. On the year, he has a 3.1 ERA, and I think it's five starts so far for the Brewers. Came into today, and he was thinking, I'm going to get out of this unscathed. It's Tommy Edmond out to start off the game. Nolan Gorman singles to right. And then Paul Goldschmidt steps to the plate. And here's what it sounded like. And the 1-1 pitch. Goldie, a base hit down the left field line and into the corner. Nolan Gorman is second on his way to third. Pop Warner says, let's go. Let's test him. Relay to the plate. The throw is not in time. It gets away. Goldie to third. They throw it away again. And Goldie will score. It's like a little league home run. And it's two to nothing St. Louis. I believe it or not. You've never seen a play quite like that from a good team. Like, I've seen teams like the Reds or the Pirates or this version of the Cubs. They're good. My Royals growing up, unfortunately. Like, those are the teams that you expect to make that kind of a play. I can't believe that we saw the Brewers, who I deem to be a quality team and play very good defense more often than not, make a play like that. That was brutal. And a heads-up play by both Nolan Gorman running home and then uh, Paul Goldschmidt getting home eventually after the error. Heck of a call by Danny, too, huh? That was great. Here we go. Yeah, I I can't believe it because you're right. Not very often do you see a team like Milwaukee, who I view as a pretty good team. I'm not saying they're great, but that's not a play you see from them very often. So the fact of the matter that we saw Milwaukee do it just kind of shows a little bit of, feels like Milwaukee's kind of rattled maybe by the start for Jason Alexander. Yeah, it was, uh, that was rough. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, by the end of the season, Juan Yepes will be the more productive hitter compared to Dylan Carlson. Who do you think is more productive this year offensively, Dylan Carlson or Juan Yepes? You believe in it? That it'll be Yepes? I'll believe it. I think if you look at in terms of when you get done near the end of the year, I think they're going to be very close. But I think Yepes could have the better slash line. Uh, average, I think they'll be very similar. In terms of on base, I think they'll be close. I think Yepes will slug maybe a little bit more than Carlson. I think he's just got a little bit better power and honestly maybe a little bit better average. So I, I think you could see Yepes, when year comes to an end, you could see Yepes have a higher probably batting average, a little bit higher slug, and then that'll lead to having a little bit higher of an OPS. And that's what I was going to say is you almost have to break down the slash line. What are you yep. looking for between the two of those? Because I think Carlson will be okay, but I think uh, Yepes will be better in a couple of those numbers. I think I would stick with the Carlson side. So I think I'm going to say I'm not believing it. I think Yepes is a really good hitter, but Carlson's swing, especially from the left side, looks really good this year to me. He's been impressive whenever he's been healthy. Uh, So I I think I'm going to stick on the Carlson side of things here and say that he ends up being the more productive player out of the two. And who has more putouts in the outfield? Well, one of them struggles (laughs) to get them. (laughs) I hate to say this about my boy Yepes, but if it's Yepes, there's problems. Yeah, that probably means that Dylan Carlson didn't finish the season on the team. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service X line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Matthew Kachuk will be a blue before the end of his career. I'm going to believe that only because of that last clause you put on there. Will it happen this year? I don't know. Will it happen next year? I don't know. But by the end of his career, I mean, when you talk about him turning 27 years old and having, you know, the ability to uh, sign wherever he wants, hey, at that point, does he sign a eight-year deal in, in Vegas or, you know, 
Dallas, who knows? But I think at some point we'll see Matthew Kachuk in a blue. And and that's not, you know, just me being a homer here. That's a situation where I think he wants to. I think he'd love to play here. I believe that as well. And, and it may not even be when he becomes a this offseason where he be trade or next offseason as a free agent because – Honestly, you could see a guy like Matthew Kachuk go get that massive contract. Whoever offers it up, yeah, get yeah. the green. His favorite color. Uh, go get the go get the money. Get that good contract for you. Play on that for eight years, and then after that, then you can choose to play on a team that is either a winning or a team that you just want to go play for. And if he wants to come play here in St. Louis, which I think he does, then you could do it later on in your career. It doesn't necessarily have to be in his prime. So I'll believe this. Maybe that's what he's trying to tell us. He wants to go to Dallas. <laughs> that, that's what it is. I'm gonna believe this as well. I. I just believe it's going to happen in the next two years. I don't know if it's this year. I I don't like if Johnny Goudreau resigns in Calgary, I think it's possible. They say, you know what? We're not going to be able to get a deal done with Matthew Kachuk. We can't come to terms on a long-term deal. We're going to run this back one more time. And does that mean that we get nothing for him in terms of an asset for Matthew Kachuk? And does that stink? Yeah. But we think we've got a shot to be able to win a cup next year. And those don't come around very often. So if you've got that line put back together again next year, I think you've got to run it back. I think you owe it to the fans to run that thing back. So I'm going to believe it that Matthew Kachuk definitely plays here at some point in his career. I think it's probably within the next couple of years. I'm going to remember find a this, way to make it work. I'm going to remember this day when a 41-year-old Matthew Kachuk signs a one-year <laughs> $750,000 deal to stay in St. Louis. Uh, 65780 is the cover service X line. I think this one is directed at you, JR. Uh-oh. Believe it or not, we shouldn't limit it to just Taco Tuesday. We should also have Taco Thursday. Oh, yeah, for sure. If I could have one meal for the rest of my life, it would be tacos. You're crazy. What is your what's your go to? Well, you could I, have one thing, one we one can, dish for the rest of your life. One dish. Is something um, we're making, or is it just anything? I don't know, Tanner. Well, you could make it, or you could get it somewhere else. So, what do you get? Uh, tacos are good. Don't get me wrong, but there's no, not enough to it. Like you, you order those tacos from the stores here, right? And they have three of them sitting in this little fancy aluminum thing. Like, who's getting full off of that? I mean, you could have That's like four or five of them. They're not expensive. I could go over to my my place down in Bridgeton. I could get four or five of them for 10, 12 bucks. It's yeah, great. that's not how they're sold in restaurants. They, they're sold <laughs> in threes, and three's not going to do it. I, I believe that it shouldn't just be Taco Tuesday. Now, if that's the last meal, I don't know if I'm going tacos. I, I'm not. I didn't say my last meal. Like, if I'm on death row for some reason, oh. like, I don't know that that's going to be what I'm ordering. <laughs> but if I had to eat one thing every day for the rest of my life, however oh, see, long I, that may be, uh, I, I would definitely go tacos mine as would, being that meal. Yeah, okay. Mine probably wouldn't be tacos still. It would probably be like uh, Nashville hot chicken or chicken Alfredo, something along those lines. I could eat that stuff all the time. You know, this is a low-key one, and this isn't something I'd want to eat every day the rest of my life, but this is one of my favorite. Is um, Maybe some people out there will hear the text line of anybody agree. I like smoked sausage with some pepper jack cheese. Give me some mashed potatoes with some corn mixed in with some hot sauce. Okay. Anybody? That very much sounds like a man I'm, meal. I'm on board <laughs> if we get the corn out of the mashed get potatoes. Get the corn out? Yeah. yeah. Like if it's on the side, not in the potatoes, I'm all side. in. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of times you find yourself sitting in these meal rooms with, you know, people that you know, Kelly Chase, Al McKinnis. I'll never forget one time I'm in Detroit eating some Little Caesars pizza. I must have been agonizing over the last couple bites, you know, just stuffing it in my face. And uh, Kelly Chase goes, hey, buddy. You know you don't have to finish that, right? <laughs> I remember Al one time too. I was he walked by the meal table and he says, "Hey Rutherford, 
Let's eat to live, not live to eat, all right? That's tremendous. <laughs> 65780 is the air comfort service text line for Believe It or Not. Guys, believe it or not, Shohei Otani will finish his career as a clear-cut first ballot Hall of Famer. Did you see what he did over the last couple of days? Yeah, unbelievable. So yesterday, he struck out 12 batters through seven scoreless innings against the Royals. The day before, he drove in eight runs with two home runs against the Kansas City Royals. So in his last three starts now, he's gone 20 total innings. He's allowed one run. Over his last 51 plate appearances as a hitter, he has a uh, 1,100 OPS. So he is the best hitter in baseball basically over his last like 15 games. And he's one of the most productive starters over his last three starts. Believe it or not, he's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer when he's done, Tanner. Oh, man. That's it. What are you debating? The problem for me is I'm not sure he can stay healthy throughout his career. He's done it the last year and a half, but there's always going to be the concern with him being a pitcher that he's going to break down. And then how does that end up translating to him behind the plate? Look, there are some injuries you can hide. Like Bryce Harper, not a pitcher. He has a torn ligament in his elbow. He can still hit and he can still do it effectively. That would be my concern with Shohei Otani. And plus, first ballot is just so hard. Um, But I think I will believe it. I I think he'll be viewed as one of those guys that changed the way you look at baseball. Because he's one of the first guys to do it since, like, Babe Ruth, who's been a two-way player. He's been effective. If I were asked, like, what will carry him into the Hall of Fame, I think it'll be his bat. Not because I'm not sure he'll be an effective pitcher for his whole career. I think at some point he'll move away from pitching because he's such a good hitter, and pitchers just break down as time goes along. So, But I'll I'll believe this. The way he's transcended the game and how he just has – burst onto the scene as a star and for how young he is still at 27 i believe this is there a waiting period uh in baseball after your career finishes before the hall five years five five three or five yeah hockey's three so i was curious can you vote a guy in before that five year i think they did it uh in the nhl a few times i don't think guys like gretzky i don't think you know it's the five years so i think he is man it's just so hard for me to imagine like He won the MVP last year. He's going to be up for consideration for the MVP in future years, both because of what he's doing and then also for him to have this much value as well as a starter. Like this year, he's been better as a starting pitcher this year than he was last year. He's a 2.9 ERA. He's basically been for the Angels as a pitcher, what Miles Michaelis has been as a pitcher for the Cardinals. And oh, by the way, on the season, Shohei Otani also has an 825 OPS. See, Mike, that, Mike so he's, too. He he's been Nolan Arenado at the plate exactly. for them. And Miles Michaelis as a pitcher. I don't know how, like, the value that that brings to a team, I know he's going to get paid crazy amounts of money. He's going to be worth it to somebody as long as he stays healthy. And that's the big caveat here is, can he stay healthy for the entirety of his career? And that's impossible to predict, but I'm going to predict healthier and say, yes, he ends up being a first bout Hall of Famer for the Angels. With Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Coming up in about 10 minutes or so, we will give you a chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Marlins. That's on June 28th. We'll do that coming up in 10 minutes. But next, should the Blues run it back this upcoming season, or is that too risky of a an option for them? We'll talk about that next. Get JR's thoughts on it here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN.
Jeremy Rutherford. It's been great to have him in studio with us today. He's filling in for Alex Ferrario. Alex is getting everything in order for when his baby is born. He'll be back on Monday. That's impossible. You can't get ready for a baby. Also with us today, coming up here in about 10 minutes, we'll give you your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash for Cardinals versus Marlins. But first, uh, JR, I, I wanted to talk to you about this because this is something that Tanner brought up with us a couple of days ago. The Blues have the option this offseason of basically running it back. Like whether that means bringing back Nick Letty or just plugging that hole of left-handed defenseman or even filling it internally. You could go Mikula with either the first or the third pairing, and then you go Scandello with the other. They have the guys internally to just basically bring back this current team and see what that looks like until the trade deadline. Is that too risky of a proposition in your mind to just say, you know what, we're running it back. It's going to be all of the same guys in the locker room and on the ice. Do you need to shake it up from year to year a little bit? Yeah, well, Tanner made the comment before the show, and I thought it was kind of interesting. He, You know, he doesn't remember who said it, but, uh, you know, can you bring back a full roster and expect things to be different? You know, shouldn't you change roughly 15, 20% of the roster, you know, just to kind of – not say that you've done something, but you have to evolve, right? It's basically what you're saying, yeah. right, Tanner? And and so I think there's probably some validity to it. Now, does that mean that you can't bring back, you know, all 23 guys and have a successful season next year? Yeah, you can do that. Uh, but I think naturally there's going to be, you know, changes with the roster. Look, you got UFAs and Letty and Perron. So, you know, that would be significant if a David Perron uh, didn't come back. But to answer your question, BK, is it too risky? Um I don't think it is. I, I think that they would benefit from an upgrade on the left defense. I think that's pretty obvious, right? But we saw what that team was capable of this year. Nine, 20 goal scorers. You know, the defense, for the most part, got the job done. I thought they were better than a lot of people gave him credit for in the playoffs. And it looks like Jordan Bennington is back to being the goaltender that he can be. So you look at that situation they gave Colorado two losses. Pierre Le- LeBron wrote about it a couple of days ago at the Athletic. I mean, you're talking about a Colorado team that could wrap it up, and they would have three losses in the entire playoffs, two of them to the Blues. Now, does that guarantee that the Blues are going to be good against Colorado and the West next year? No, it isn't. But I think that they have a really good foundation, and I think if there were ever a year that you were going to bring back most of your team and feel pretty good about it, this could be it. Yeah, I think if you are going to run it, back and and not do the is it too risky if you don't bring back if you bring back more than 80 percent of your roster I do feel like this is the year but I do feel like there is a need for some sort of a major change when I say major change I mean like the big splash of like a Jacob Chicken on that left side defensively because I think if you bring back Perron and then you just the other moves you make is really just Lindgren's your backup goaltender which he's already in the system I, I know he's got to be signed but it's going to be around the league minimum I would say probably uh, and then the other move is you go out and you sign maybe it's a fourth liner to me you didn't really do a whole lot and the reason I do view that as being kind of risky because if you only make three changes and one of those is Chikrin then I think you're fine that's not turning over around 20 percent 15 to 20 percent of the roster but I think just doing the Perron comes back you hope that someone steps up within the organization on the left side defensively and then just Lundgren's your backup goaltender. I, I do find there to be somewhat of a risk because then basically you have to rely on the same production from everybody across the board 
from last season. Now, with that being said, look, I, I'm not saying like Kyrie's going to have a massive dro- drop off or uh, Robert Thomas just falls back and he's not what we thought he was last year. But it's a lot to ask for everybody to put up the same kind of numbers. And the guy I definitely circle on that list is a guy like an Ivan Barbashev. I, I feel like he's already reached his ceiling, and I don't know if he's going to get. You're not going to expect him to put up those same kind of numbers. I don't think this year. That's why I do view it a little bit risky because I think it was Walt Jockety told us one time when we talked to him about you know 2006 Cardinals win the World Series and he stuck with the same roster and it just didn't work out. 2007 got him fired. Got him fired. <laughs> they they missed the playoffs that the didn't following work out. year. No. Yeah, so I, I do think there needs to be some changeover. I don't think you need to overhaul the roster by any means, but if there's going to be just a limited number of moves like three, one of them does need to be a big move in my opinion because otherwise you're just relying on everybody to be making the same amount of uh, production from last year and that just seems like a difficult task. So to last add. year you had 34 goals from Vladdy. I think if we all took a poll of the room right now, all of us would say that's probably the ceiling or something approaching the ceiling of what you expect goal production wise from him. Pavel Buchnevich was at 30. I think that's probably what you're kind of expecting or hoping for from him again next year. Jordan Cairo was at 27. Maybe he could take a step forward. That's probably the guy that if I was said, Hey, who's the guy that you think has the, the highest likelihood of outproducing goal goal production wise, what they did a year ago, he would be the one, but then you keep going. David Prawn 27. That's kind of in line with what he's been. Ivan Barbashev 26. I'm not sure that he's going to get back to that next year. Uh, You look at Brandon Saad, 24 goals, kind of where he's been for most of his career. Ryan O'Reilly around that 20 to 25 mark. Robert Thomas, do I think he's going to get 20 goals again next year? I don't know. Even Justin Falk had 16. It's a really good offensive season for him. It's hard for me to believe that they've got a bunch of guys that can take another step forward offensively. And I think the likelihood is some of those guys take a step back from a goal scoring production. So if you're going to lose out on some of that goal production next year and you're not going to be a top five offense in the Western Conference, well, then you got to be better defensively. And that's like it's a it's kind of a sliding scale, right? If you've got a great offense, you can be a little worse defensively. If you've got a bad offense, you've got to be really good defensively to be able to make up for it in terms of the goal differential. And so going into next year, I don't think you can bring back the same team. I think you've got to improve somewhere. You've either got to improve on that top nine where I'm not expecting 25 plus goals again from Ivan Barbashev, or I've got to upgrade that top pairing defensively on the left side. It's got to be one or the other. And it's got to come with, in my opinion, a a move of three, three or four different players. Yeah, no, I agree with both you guys. I guess I'm looking at a couple of things. One is, you know, I think if you have Tory Krug healthy and in that playoff I think that you're a better team I think if Bennington we can agree if he's in there we could be talking about the Blues beating Colorado we really could have with the way you know things happen now granted they had a couple guys out too but you know I I think that they're close they're really close and the other thing I want to point out again in agreement with you guys but if I'm talking about bringing it back I'm talking about there's either a Letty or a Chikrin or somebody on the team. I'm not saying bring these guys back, let Letty walk, don't replace him. I'm saying if you have a guy, like if you've got Letty and Krug or Chikrin and Krug on that left side, you know, whichever defenseman you want to pop in there, you know, I think you're okay. Now, if if you guys think that, you know, maybe change out a forward to let Perron go, go get somebody else, and, you know, that could make a bigger difference. I think it's really, for me, Fourth line or third line left winger to bump down Ivan Barbashev to that fourth line. And then that left pairing defenseman. If you add three guys, that's all I need. I I don't need much more. Like, I don't need you to go out there and make a ton of this team shouldn't overhaul what it has currently unless you're clearly upgrading. And that's where you get into the Kachucks, the Chikrins, those sorts of things. But barring something like that. They've got a really good team. And I think we are now seeing with what what the abs have done since they played the Blues. 
they just ran into a juggernaut. And the Blues weren't healthy when they played that juggernaut. So I feel good about where they're at. I do think there's a few different places yeah. where you could upgrade a little bit. We've yeah, talked to Nazi about ha- those. You have to have one of those left shot Ds. Have, yeah, to, have to. And I don't want to see like the, the season preview comes out and it has the additions in the offseason and it's Charlie Young- Lindgren fourth liner and that's basically it because then I think you undersold a little bit of what you could have done this offseason and that's coming to my point is where I, I think if you're going to make just a handful of moves one of them does need to be big and it needs to be like that left side defenseman that you're talking about coming up next with we'll the BK and Ferrario rewind but right now 65780 is the air comfort service tax line if you are texter number 101 and you can tell us what earlier today there was one thing we asked Matthew Kachuk about Nikita Zadorov he said there's one thing you need to know about him that would be on the negative side of the ledger what was that one thing if you were texture number 101 and you can name that at 65780 you are the winner of a four pack of tickets to tuesday night's budweiser bash for cardinals versus marlins it's the next budweiser bash of 2022 featuring former cardinals pitchers john stuper and dave lapointe it is their bobblehead giveaway night you can check out all the details at cardinals.com slash promotions bk and ferrario rewind coming up next we're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. to get the 101 ESPN app but right now it's loaded with awesome giveaways for this month if you already have the app check out the reward section if you don't have it yet download it today get registered to win you'll have a chance to win a thousand dollars in cash prizes a portable Traeger grill a rolling Yeti cooler a signed Ryan O'Reilly Blues jersey and so so much more solo stove is available on there to win as well all of these contests going on right now be sure to check it out if you've already already downloaded it check out the reward section if you haven't yet sign up today also a big congrats speaking of winners to Justin from Festus he is our winner of the four pack of tickets to see next Tuesday night's Cardinals game if you want another chance to win be sure to stay tuned throughout the day today and also tomorrow we'll have one more chance for you to be able to win no we won't the rest of the day is the last time for you to win i do believe the cardinals tickets smooth if you missed anything from today's show be sure to check it out on the podcast page it's all presented by dobbs tire and auto sinners huge thanks to jeremy rutherford for uh, stopping in with us had a great interview earlier today that is courtesy of jr because of his relationship with matthew kachuk Uh, jr what could people be expecting from you over on the athletic yeah we'll have a piece coming up i don't know if it'll be published uh, tonight or tomorrow but the results to the blues fans survey that's a fun thing to do once a year and i know you guys pumped up the uh, survey earlier in the week and you know mentioned a few of the questions and i gotta tell you i just got a a slack a message from my boss and he said you're gonna be a little bit surprised by some of these results interesting he's seen them and i think you know we have questions about should the blues trade tarasenko or keep them uh jordan bennington what's your faith in him uh, we had nearly 2,500, I think, responses. Wow. And so we'll have that full article with all the reaction from fans in the survey coming up either tonight or tomorrow at The Athletic. That's over at The Athletic. You should be a scri- subscriber if you aren't already. Be sure to go subscribe over there. Also, you can follow JR on Twitter at JP Rutherford. He'll tweet out the link for that at some point, either later on today or or tomorrow. 
Huge thanks to you, JR. Oh, Always you enjoy having yeah, you fun. in, man. This has been awesome. Tomorrow it'll be Kerry Davis filling in with us. Alex Ferrario will be back in on Monday for Jeremy Rutherford and Tanner Hendricks. And I'm Brandon Kylie. Be back tomorrow at 11 here on 101 ESPN. Wow, we. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This holiday, whether you're making a Kroger Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Kroger has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Choose from a great selection of digital coupons and use them up to five times in one transaction. Check our app for details. Kroger, fresh for everyone.